Hello, all you magical people out there. Mike Bloom here. Just wanted to talk to you a bit before we jump into this week's Once Upon a Time recap. Now, for those of you that may have been following the show on the feed, you realize there was no Episode 5 recap. Uh, That was because Kurt and I had a little bit of scheduling difficulty. As a result, we could not do an Episode 5 recap in the few days after the episode aired. So we used this as an opportunity to double up. So in this podcast, you are going to have the Episode 5 and Episode 6 recaps of Once Upon a Time 6 season. And just so you know, we did our episode five recap a couple of hours before the sixth episode aired. So, of course, we make a bunch of predictions that I'm going to assume were completely wrong. But you can find both of our episode recaps in this podcast, and we will be back on track to move forward with season six from then on. So, enjoy. Once Upon a Time, Season 6, Episodes 5 and 6 are over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, here bringing you a double dose of Once Upon a Time this week. But of course, I am not alone. I am joined by a man who joins us after a one-podcast hiatus from his trip across the sea, but now he is back, Kurt Clark. The diamond in the rough. Welcome back to the podcast. How's it going? Going great. I, w- I was looking for Jekyll and Hyde over there. I was looking for a little Peter Pan and Wendy. Um, didn't really end up with either of those. Just a bunch of street rats. Actually, well, when, I saw, when I saw the title of this episode, I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to like have an Oliver Twist work in. And I didn't even like think about. Uh, I didn't even think about the possibility of uh, um, uh, of, of Jasmine and Aladdin for some reason. You're not thinking fourth dimensionally, Kurt. No, no, I'm not. So before we get into episodes five and six, I do want to ask you, you obviously were not here for episode four, Strange Case, which saw the demise of Jekyll and Hyde. If you guys out there didn't listen to it, Brent Wolgamot was on. I thought he did a great job with it. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about watching that episode and your thoughts particular on the deaths of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, I think like you, it, it ended a bit sooner than I had expected. <laughs> just a bit. Uh, just a little, a, a tad bit. I expected it to maybe at least stretch into uh, late November, early December. Um, so yeah, that, that, that part threw me. Um, but I did like the kind of twist that, that Hyde was not necessarily, the the villain in this situation, or again going back to our whole all the times we've discussed regarding Bell and um, and 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 Gold, that good and evil it's not so much a black and white distinction. That sometimes intent is involved. That there's shades of gray there. I thought that that was nicely reflected in with the story of Jekyll and Hyde, or should I say the mysterious case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and and it not only was it like. An issue of shades of gray. It was almost more completely, uh, you know, opposite of what I think we were kind of being led to believe, which I thought was a nice twist. Mm-hmm. So, what did you think then about this episode? We see Gold mentioned, but nary an appearance of him nor Bell, even with his new haircut. I know that Brent in particular was not very happy with the direction that Bell and Gold were going in, specifically after his rather creepy speech to her at the end of last episode. Were you happy to not see them, to, to take a little break from them for at least an episode? Yeah, because it's hard, it's hard for me to envision that storyline, like not going in just more of a Ross and Rachel from Friends, sorry, Taryn Armstrong uh, perspective. We were um, on a break. 
<laughs> they, yeah, it's it's just more of will they or won't they, and more obstacles being put in the way, and and I think like like Brent is like the the fact that gold basically imprisoned her at the end was like doing him no favors i think in terms of like making a case for why she should get back with him i've talked a lot about how i don't necessarily think that bell should be looking at gold as this evil entity that action though unforgivable yeah and i think he definitely did not make things better for himself and i personally was glad to see a one episode break from it because i believe not only from brent and i but checking out the a lot of the once upon a time community none of them were really that happy with how this storyline was going so i'm happy to get a, a momentary respite even though kurt i don't know if you knew this from the promos but aladdin and jasmine were back in episode five they're eight they're on this season i didn't realize that <laughs> what do you think about this whole I wouldn't even say doubling down, like quadrupling down on the promos department of saying like, hey, there was this episode of Once Upon a Time, but don't worry, in three weeks, Aladdin and Jasmine are back on Once Upon a Time. Um, I don't do, need do, it. do you think it's undercutting everything else that's going on with the show? I, I, I don't, actually. Um, I think that the people who've been watching since, uh, you know, season one or two, uh, are you know who are still sticking with it? Who who we're going to stick with it into this season? Are still watching it? I I think it is a bit of a oh we're going let's tap into this you know popular uh, uh, you know animated musical that many people love to get more people potentially into uh, you know into the into the the series. Um, so I guess you have to promote from that perspective. It's not something that I necessarily need. Um, and and you know me, it's like I prefer not to necessarily know when they're going to show up or that they're even going to show up. But you know, uh, you know, producers got to produce. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't hate necessarily. Well, let's start by talking about the general Agrabah flashback storyline of this episode. And we sort of get an origin story of Aladdin becoming the savior and his relationship with Jasmine. We get a little more insight into Agrabah. What did you think overall about our, I would call this our introduction to Agrabah, considering that when we saw it in the very first scene of this season, it left a lot to be questioned. I was actually waiting for Merida to walk into the scene, given that her and Aladdin seem to have the exact same Scottish accent. <laughs> yeah, I, and again, I don't want to obviously make this a thing of like, well, people from this region should speak like this. But it, it was a little disparate to see someone from a Middle Eastern country talking with a brogue Scottish accent. It, and I, it will be the one and only time I mention it. But I'm sure that it, it, it definitely stood out. Um, and it was a little disconcerting at first, but I eventually got used to it, question mark. Um, but uh, I, I, I liked the introduction. Um, I, I don't, it's, it, it was really interesting, I think, that they, uh, that they introduced pretty much all three of the characters like right at the same drop of the hat in terms of Jafar is turning people into rats because they're thieves. Aladdin's still, uh, you know, thief is still stealing. And, you know, Jasmine corners him and says, you know, this guy who just turned, uh, well, I guess people who are competing for the same resources you do, technically, he just turned your, your, uh, your, your colleagues slash, uh, you know, fellow thieves into rats. Uh, help me take him down. Um, I know I, I liked it. I think I mentioned to you at the at you know before we recorded that the the Agrabah market looked a bit like the market in the Land of Untold Stories uh, to me. I wonder if they just repurposed the set, uh, but it, it's it's nice that they. I think it, it seemed like th this is something that we're going to be spending a 
fair bit of time in this land in the flashback. And I, and I like the attention that they paid to it. Yeah, and I think there's still a big question left at the end of this as to... It seems like Aladdin got to Storybrooke because he happened to be in the Enchanted Forest, and whether that was from the first curse or the second curse or maybe even the third curse, uh, he appeared at some point in there. Jasmine, we're still not sure whether she's from the Land of Untold Stories or whether she was also in the Enchanted Forest at the same time. Right, because that, that was the question I had that kind of came up at the very end of the episode when, when Aladdin confronts uh, Jasmine in the park and, and Jasmine says that, uh, you know, Agrabah needs your help. I, I've, I've been looking for you because I need to take you back there, which brought into question for me the whole, you know, so is Agrabah then not the land of untold stories? Like how did Jasmine get to – was she in the Enchanted Forest? Or sorry, was Agrabah not part of the Enchanted Forest? Was Jasmine in the Enchanted Forest when the curse took place? Or did she somehow come to our world thinking Aladdin was here? Or where was Aladdin? So I still have a question about like where all these different lands exist. Was Is Agrabah kind of exist in parallel to, for instance, uh, Wonderland or Dr. Whale's world where it's a completely uh, – you know, parallel or separate doorway that can be traveled to a different realm so i'm looking forward to learning more about about that absolutely and i guess uh, talking a little bit more about this intro scene that you just mentioned that sort of drops all three of our characters into this agrabah setting i really like karen david as jasmine i said last Mm -hmm. time that i was a big fan of her on the short-lived gallivant and i liked how this (laughs) jasmine has a little bit more wild to her like how she has this royal scarab that's going to come up in future scenes but how she uses it to sort of i wouldn't say blackmail aladdin but use it to try to out him should he not take her offer to go to the cave of wonders so i'm happy to see a jasmine who has a little bit more not to say that the jasmine in the movie was our uh, one of those typical disney princesses that you know is, is very innocent and pure and arguably maybe a little bit boring but this one definitely has a little bit more of an attitude on her as well Right. And I, and I also got the plan that that wasn't necessarily some, or got the idea that that wasn't necessarily a plan that she had been thinking of running with. I almost got the impression that she didn't expect Aladdin to say no to this. And, uh, and she just immediately kind of like thought on her feet, okay, then I'm going, I was going to give him this as like a, uh, you know, like a, a, a token of my faith in him, but I'm now going to use it in, in an effort to kind of, you know, extort him into helping me. And I, and the fact that, again, from my interpretation, that this is something she came up with on the spot, I, I liked that she that she seems wily and, and able to think on her feet. What did you think about Once Upon a Time's take on the Cave of Wonders? Obviously, I don't think they're going to go for a giant CGI head, but did you like the sort of tomb carved inside a rock? Um, I, I was hoping for a little bit, well, again, you know, just, just my, my, my preference. And if we had, if we'd had a, a, a couple more uh, episodes to, to stretch us out, I think it would have been fun to have a little bit of a almost Indiana Jones in the last crusade sort of, uh, journey into the cave of wonder where there's some traps that they have to dodge and some, uh, you know, monsters that they have to defeat. But that, that's, that's my personal bias. I, I, I did like the, um, I guess I did kind of like the end of like the, the simplicity of it. I didn't think it needed to be overly complicated for what they needed to do. It didn't seem like it was awfully hard for anybody to get in. Um, he kind of tapped into the whole Alibaba storyline to open it up with Open Sesame. Um, but, but yeah, you know, it, it, it served its purpose. Um, 
So I was like, yeah, cave, cave of wonders. So there's you know more than one wonder in there. Perhaps we'll we'll encounter uh, a, a multitude of things that can kind of mess with the storyline, but uh, uh, not so much. It was pretty straightforward what they ended up running into. I mean, I was interested to see that nothing turned into lava when Aladdin had grabbed something. I mean, I definitely was on board that the diamond balancing on the sword did not seem to be the diamond in the rough. That would have been way too literal. But I know you were making an Indiana Jones comparison before, but Aladdin was able to do his best uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and do the whole weight shift. Yeah, and it looked like a statue of almost uh, a poo, right? Uh, almost the, his, 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 his monkey companion from the, uh, the, the, the movie. Yeah, that's of true. The, and I, and yeah. I think we actually, when we were talking about the idea of not before this before this season of having Aladdin be on the show, we were wondering, you know, they, we had Sven from Frozen in there for a hot second, but usually they don't do animal companions outside of Pongo. Do you think they would put Abu in there? I guess the answer is no, but we do have Iago. So it's clear that they're sort of picking their poison when it comes to animal sidekicks. Or at least a nod to Iago, because do we ever actually see the? I'm trying to remember at the end. Do we see the the red bird in the company of Jafar? Yeah, uh, we do in the beginning when he's in the marketplace, and that's where the bird flies out of frame and it cuts to Storybrook, where they follow the bird again. That's right. Because well, I remember that the bird was. I remember the bird was watching Aladdin and Jasmine as they were leaving the marketplace, and it took off. I couldn't remember if he was actually if the bird was with Jafar at the beginning of the sequence or not. Um, yeah, I believe it was. But the which which raises. I remember that. I, th- I think that um, uh, Brett, it might have been Brett who mentioned at the during the the last podcast. Like, is there what's the tie between the Oracle? And Jafar, if, if this red bird is seen in the context of the Oracle, I think this is where his thinking was. We see this red bird in the context of the Oracle, and we know that there is a red uh, bird in the form of Iago that's linked to Jafar. Is there a tie between these two characters? And we definitely now see that there is a the, the bird is a commonality, but I'm, I am interested in seeing what the tie is, if any, between Jafar and the Oracle. Yeah, there's a, there is a big Jafarical theory out there, <laughs> I think, that Jafar was – being under the guise of the Oracle in order to trick Jasmine to bring Aladdin to him so we can use him for whatever purposes. Of course, there's a little wrinkle in that theory that we're going to get to, I'm sure, as soon as we get into the Storybrooke storyline. But before we move on from that, I do want to ask you, what did you think about this sort of underlying social upheaval in Agrabah, where Jasmine is telling Aladdin, you know, we need to defeat Jafar because he's been putting this kingdom through the worst stuff possible. Kurt, I know you're a big fan of cracks.com. I know I have the article in front of me right now. That's Matt. We're match game right there. There was an article that's like five movie antagonists who were actually correct. And I know Jafar is one of them because they say like the Sultan is so aloof that Agrabah sort of, uh, in times of strife and Jafar is really the only one that's really stringing along a sustainable economy. It doesn't seem to be the case this time, but I thought it was interesting that Aladdin brought up to Jasmine, you know, you're not so different from Jafar or you and I are both selfish. Uh, it was interesting to sort of talk economics here um, once well, upon a time. I actually like this whole point as well. You know, these issues were here before Jafar even was in the picture. Uh, you know, this isn't something that is caused by Jafar. You know, people have been struggling in Agrabah uh, before he even appeared on the scene, which then makes me like wonder like how Jasmine's family kind of came into rule. Is he kind of throwing shade at some of their ancestors or potentially, you know, have, you know, did the, 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 uh, the Sultan inherit this or, or for, from some other Sultanate family? Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. The, uh, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, 
the article, I mean, they talk about the, on crack, they talk about the, the Sultan's a bumbling dictator who changes laws on a whim. Aladdin is a dangerous thief and con man who's easily able to manipulate the Sultan. And Jasmine is a spoiled, insubordinate princess who's fed up with being rich that she runs away from home, steals food from a merchant, and is really out of touch with the reality. Um, and Jafar is really the one that's made into a clean, peaceful, successful ancient civilization. We see a little bit of a twist on that in this. And he's like, well, I guess his, his solution to, uh, the criminal element in Agrabah, as we saw, has to turn them into street vermin, which I think is kind of replacing one issue with another. Uh, maybe he's, he, if we find out that a couple, like you know, ten years from now, like the the plague has overrun Agrabah because of rats, then then we could probably lay something pretty squarely at the feet of Jafar. But I really liked Abladin's point that, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, you know, princess, this was an issue before Jafar came came out. So uh, I kind of I did like this exchange. It was, I thought it was very thoughtful on the part of Jasmine or part of Aladdin, and potentially eye opening for Jasmine. Yeah, it's it's deeper than what the movie initially says, where it seems like Jafar is the only he's hypnotizing the Sultan and he's the one that's ruling the kingdom and causing it to be in this poor condition. Whereas Aladdin, I think, is hinting towards more deeply seated roots, which I think will eventually inform Jasmine's decision to stay behind with him at the end of this sequence. So Aladdin is revealed to be the savior after he ends up saving his and Jasmine's life, and she reveals that she had sort of thought that he was the diamond in the rough the entire time, and this was all one big test. And she gives him the scarab to say, even if you don't believe in yourself, I do. And I thought that was a nice resonance with what we're going to talk about with the Regina and Zelina stuff, where the theme of this episode seems to be, even if you don't believe in yourself, there is someone out there who does believe in you. Yeah, I think that's a good time. I hadn't actually saw that uh, that parallel or that mirroring before, but you know, at first I was a little bit wary. Like, what's you know? I didn't think I, I know that I wouldn't have reacted well to just like being tested. But at the same time, I think that uh, he had to be shown. Uh, he had a kind of he kind of had to reveal and uncover for himself that he had this power and was this diamond in the rough. Uh, I think if Jasmine had just told him, I think he would have been. Yeah, right. Or even if he had believed her, it would have been almost more dangerous for just to, for him to just assume this. But for him to discover that he has this power, um, I thought was probably the the best way to go about it. So as much as I kind of question, questioned Jasmine's methods at first, I ultimately uh, I agree with her approach. Well, let's cut to the chase here. As Jafar makes an offer, he makes his own deal, I guess, to Aladdin. Or not even a deal. He just uses Iago to show Aladdin that he will die. His visions seem a little bit more uh, something out of a Lars von Trier film uh, than Emma's fairly straightforward vision. So he gives him a pair of golden shears that will essentially cut his ties to his savior destiny that he can use at any time to avert his own death. Kurt, put yourself in Aladdin's shoes here. Do you think he made the right decision by shirking that for now? Well, I mean, um, hmm. well, I, I guess he, this is a newfound power. It's, you know, too soon to si- simply, you know, literally cut ties with it. And as we see later on, he, he has these shears with him, is given them uh, so that he can do it at any point that he wants to. Um, so I, I don't think there's any danger. And you know what, let's Let's kind of hang on to these for now. If things get kind of dicey, then we'll use them. I think there's no problem, at least in this situation, with a wait-and-see approach, which we also see kind of Emma lands on on the same page there. I think the the only issue I had was that the the, the shears looked uh, Egyptian in nature, Mm -hmm. um, but the three fates are Greek in nature in terms of mythology. This is an Agrabah, um, which I guess you could tie a little bit geographically to 
uh, at least neighbors to those areas. Um, oh, I guess the, the fates were also in the TV show The Quest. We can't forget the uh, the fates challenge there. Um, so I, I was a little bit thrown by uh, the uh, how much of an anachron- anachronism the, the the fates shears were. Um, but uh, other than that, I didn't really have a dis- an issue with uh, Aladdin's decision here. I mean, we're also talking about a universe where it seems like the Greek gods really do exist and that that's like the one true religion in this show. So they were messing mythologies a long time ago. I did notice that as well. Though maybe we're thinking about like lost-esque hieroglyphics that aren't really hieroglyphics, but they sort of resemble some sort of archaic language. But yeah, it was a little strange uh any comments about the subduing of jafar a little reminiscent of the movie with jasmine being trapped in the hourglass and aladdin swooping in to save her at the last second yeah it was it was pretty um i think true to form i I was i was fine with it i I liked how the the sultan was had, had indeed here also been kind of reduced to this uh uh babbling fool uh playing with his legos um or the 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 the, the equivalent at the time yeah, this would be like playmobil <laughs> exactly um so so yeah it was i i thought it was it was like i said pretty true to form and but at the same time i didn't necessarily get a sense that we've seen the last of jafar and of course you know the you know in the marketplace scene later on we we, we do indeed kind of you know have hints that you know jafar isn't completely out of the picture and we also know from episode one that he's not out of the picture yeah i do have a question about that too because aladdin's going to reveal at the very end of the episode to emma i use the shears i detached it i'm no longer the savior but in the first episode we see him undergoing savior spasm so i guess we have to wonder the aladdin timeline i'm assuming he sets off for the outskirts of town without jasmine at some point he starts going under and starts having the savior spasms and then after that maybe he cuts his tie and runs off into the enchanted forest yeah i'm not sure about the where the enchanted forest timing comes in or where he ends up actually going um I, I, I'm just I'm just confused about how he and Jasmine both got to Storybrooke. Was it was it through a curse via the Enchanted Forest? Was it through some other form of transportation? Like we're going to find out that magic carpets now can travel between worlds. But I think uh, yes, other the magic carpet is related to a mermaid. Yes. Um, other than that, I think we're we're going to. I, I agree with your sense of timing in terms of how people are, uh, in terms of you know him leaving, savior spasm, shears, and then somehow you know several steps later ends up in Storybrooke. So it's just I think from, I still need some dots connected, and I'm sure that we'll get them. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, again, it seemed it's only episode five though. From what happened with Jekyll and Hyde, uh, who knows? We might have like two more episodes of Aladdin and Jasmine before they're ushered away. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's although you know there there was very little build up to. Uh, you know, Jekyll and Hyde or Cinderella or, you know, the, uh, the, the man in the iron mask. Um, but at the, Monte Cristo. Ah, sorry. Yes. I was, as I was saying, it's like, wait, was that it? Um, uh, but here they've been hyping this for so long. It's got to, they've, it's got to last a couple more episodes. I have to say at, at least a couple more episodes. Yeah, though, who knows? I mean, we remember we had Hercules and Meg for all of one episode, and we both thought, or at least I did, that they would have a much longer story arc. So Once Upon a Time is always keeping us on our toes. And speaking of which, uh, Emma, Archie, and Pongo are on their toes as they're running through the woods, catching that aforementioned red bird. And it leads them back to the Oracle, but it seems like the Oracle might have had her own bitter draft. <laughs> yeah, we don't really, we don't find out during this episode um you know 
how the Oracle or these you know uh, died. Correct. We just we just no. I mean, but I'm assuming from the lines on her neck, which again from that woman that the Count of Monte Cristo said looked like his wife, she appeared the same way in the Enchanted Forest. So I would assume it was the same thing. Though again, it could, in a very much realm of who done it, be you know the evil queen killed her in a different way, but then magicked the lines on her neck to make it look like she had been poisoned. I'm 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 wary of if we've actually seen the last of the Oracle. for a couple of reasons, like for me, I was almost putting the Oracle in the same uh, school of of of, of magic uh, power as potentially the Sorcerer's Apprentice, who we uh, who it just seems it's not as easy to kill as or get rid of as as one necessarily thinks, um, or the author, or like basically it's like it seems like a big powerful name, uh, so I'm not sure that she is dead just from that perspective, and then likewise linking it back to. What's the link between the Oracle and Jafar? Uh, there might be something going on there. So I don't necessarily know that we've truly seen the last of the Oracle. But it's the, the, the fact, I think really the fact that she died is, is really, I think, just enough of, of an issue for, the, for Shireen to get introduced to the main cast. Absolutely. And uh, maybe it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise because I'll be honest, I don't think the Oracle was the best actress. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe she just gets some better lines later on. Yeah, I mean, maybe she'll just get some <laughs> meteor roles. Uh, so Jasmine, I'm just going to say Jasmine, Jasmine, as much as I love the name Shireen. Uh, she's yeah. subdued. She's interrogated. Kurt, I know you tweeted about this. Emma mentioned she had oh, a superpower. God. Remember that? I, I be- just let you know, I believe you. And I'm sure you think you sound crazy and you think that people aren't going to believe you. But I believe you because you know what? I have a superpower, and I can tell. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, no, except you... for all those times that people were lying to me, and I didn't even blink an eyelash at it. I mean, okay, a couple episodes ago, you know, they tapped into the whole let's 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 track down, uh, you know, uh, Cinderella and her stepsister using the old fashioned bounty hunting way that I used to. So I know that, you know, Emma's getting back to her roots and, and what made her great at finding people and and. Uh, but no, for for the, for for them to just not even at least give a nod to the fact that it, it hasn't always worked, or to to acknowledge the fact that it had that there's been times where it hasn't worked. I don't. This this just uh, this this upset me more than it should have. But um, we're, if, as long as long as we get more instances of her using it and, and kind of proving it out, then I'll be fine. But just the one, I believe you. I have a superpower. It's like no, you don't. Yeah, you don't. You've lost it. Well, this felt like a very old school scene between that and Emma. I feel like it's been yes. a long time since Once Upon a Time says, oh, yes, we know we live in a world where these stories exist. And when Emma flat out lampshades the Aladdin movie, I feel like we haven't done that in a while. Well, I was also actually wondering that if there was going to be some sort of reference to the Aladdin movie, because we saw back when the Wicked Witch was introduced that she's like, oh, wait, the, she, she, she recognizes the fact that the Wicked Witch is a character from the movie The Wizard of Oz uh, back in the day. And, and so I was wondering if they, well, does Aladdin exist as a movie here in this world? And will, uh, would Emma, and sure, sure enough, she's like, oh, let me guess, you're looking for Aladdin. Like, how did you know I've seen the movie? It's like, okay, that's fine. I, I actually accept that. <laughs> Yeah, so then do you just think Emma is not well-read enough to really be on the up-and-up with these other Land of Untold Stories people? That's actually a funny point. Like, the fact that, well, there was, like, you know, 
you know, uh, uh, 1960s black and white version of the strange case of Dr. J or what, or what have you. Like, yeah, that, that actually is a really good point is, you know, you can't simply call out your knowledge of Aladdin because of the Disney movie when there's all of these other things that you should be knowing based on pop culture. Yeah, Emma's totally the person that's like, oh, yeah, I didn't read the book. I saw the movie, though. Show uh, so when we get so we, when we get into 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in episode six, she'll be like, uh, all right, uh, yeah, if you could just, like, remind me of the story. Uh, I saw that the Disney movie they did, like, a while back, but... <laughs> and, and, and just to kind of to... Um, to go into a little bit more detail on that because we didn't really weren't clear on that at the top of the show. We're actually recording this episode five coverage uh, before we watch episode six. Um, and then we're going to be regrouping again today uh, after we watch episode six to kind of group this all together. So uh, it could very well be that uh, she turns out that she's a huge Jules Verne aficionado and and has read all of his books or she's seen the the Disney movie. So let's let, let's let's see which which it is. Yeah, I guess a benefit of doing this is that usually we make big predictions that are wrong a week later. <laughs> now we're going to make big predictions that are going to be wrong almost immediately after saying them. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what's coming up uh, next uh, at, the, at the end of this half of the podcast. But so, I'll, I'll reserve my, my, my comments. Well, let's go to the loft here. I did like the line that they couldn't use a locator spell to find Aladdin stuff because everything he stole. <laughs> it's just like, that's a nice, funny little uh, logical loophole there. We'll talk more about Evil Archie when we get into the Evil Queen's Alina storyline but what did you think about evil archie following emma home and then stepping into the room to make emma reveal her secret to everybody oh you mean the hopper ganger <laughs> oh perfect oh yeah. early contender for the hashtag i know it's gonna be a long podcast but that's an early contender um i i like i don't i don't know i don't know how i feel about the whole uh evil queen posing as Archie. I guess, you know what, if you want to know the savior's secrets, best to disguise yourself as her shrink. Um, but maybe be a little bit more persistent. And and to be honest, I think if it tears that Band-Aid off, if it gets Emma to just tell her freaking family about this secret, which is what ended up happening, then I'm game. So you know what? Yep. Thumbs up Thumbs up to the Evil Queen for doing this. Thumbs down to the Evil Queen for change for uh, for changing from Doctor Hopper back to the Evil Queen. Literally, like on the landing right outside the apartment. <laughs> like maybe leave the building first and yeah. then change because oh, like. She yeah, she was very cocksure, uh, and I, maybe our—I forget—maybe our once upon a recap fact checker might have to go back into our episode one podcast. I forget what our bet was as to how long it would take Emma to tell her family about the visions, but whoever had four episodes, I guess, is going to be the winner of that bet. Yeah, I think I think the number five point five sounds familiar, and I think you took the over, but oh. that might have been for a completely different bet. Um, but but yeah, I, I'm just. Glad that 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 this happened, yeah. and yeah. So you know, the although if we do hear one more time, you know what? If you know if we all love each other, whether it's you know her talking to her parents or her talking to Hook or her talking to Henry, and, and she says you know there, there can't be any more secrets. If I hear that one more time. If I hear that one more time and then there is more keeping of secrets, I will be very upset. But not on her part. I mean, we saw David a few episodes ago. Now it seems oh, yeah. like Hook is keeping a secret. I feel like the theme is going to become Emma's more so telling no more secrets to herself and everyone else is following her rules from beforehand. I, I did like that because there is a scene where you know Snow is saying to Emma, that's how, how you know, your father and I have, have stood the test of time if we don't keep secrets from each other. And I think that's just, you know, 
waiting like countdown three two one until we see what David's secret is that he's hiding from Mary Margaret. Yeah, we have a we've been a couple episodes off of David on the case though. I'm assuming we might get back to it at some point, but I don't know. It might be a little while from now, considering what we're trying to focus on in the near future. And it's interesting if. Hopper was, or the Hopper, Hopper ganger slash evil queen was trying to really sow the seeds of mistrust like she was really trying to do by doing this. She heard them, yes, arguing outside, but then, like, the next scene is Mary Margaret saying, like, Emma, I forgive you. Like, great. I mean, Hook might be a little... It might be a little mysterious now with what he's going to do with the shears, but otherwise, it seems like nothing has really changed. Right. I think that's a little bit... We, we've seen this in other points in the uh, in the season is, you know, I think maybe the the evil predilections of the queen have her interpretation or prediction of how the quote-unquote heroes will react is being a little bit off. So in terms of uh, this will tear them apart, and no, it doesn't. Just like we see, you know, uh, at the end of the episode where she kind of says, well, if I had... The only reason Henry's upset with me is because I lied to him. If I told him, you know, how evil I truly was, then, you know, things would have been okay. And I, I'm not sure that that's how things would have worked out either. So... Um, I, I, I don't expect that, you know, this is like this kind of potentially the second time that her plans were foiled. Uh, you know, she had things didn't work out with uh, removing this, these, the savior uh, via Cinderella and the last time. And this is another time where things didn't quite go as planned. So, though, again, it might be a bunch of foibles that are actually contributing to one larger con over time where she wanted them to do this the entire time. And that's going to let bleed up to her big master plan, uh, which I'm sure we'll eventually see. Potentially, potentially. I, I, I'll give that. This might be a, just a small nudge of a domino when things are going to explode out of control. It did seem like things, uh, just from the way she was complaining to hide that things did not go as planned in the, the Cinderella, uh, 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 tail but I, I i i do give you that you know this still may have been intentional for the way things played out here in the loft the correct word was a cinderella story kurt a cinderella <laughs> story starring hillary duff and chad michael murray um what did you think about the henry and jasmine conversation and specifically the role of henry this episode who's pretty much going to hold on to some guilt feeling like had he not brought emma here she would not be the savior and she would not have this death sentence on her I thought that was a fun parallel that he drew. Uh, maybe fun's the wrong word. I thought it was actually an intelligent parallel that he drew. Not uh, much more intelligent than saying thinking that that Jasmine would want to chill out and play Xbox. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, I don't know. Jasmine's already taken Henry. You, you might not want to go for Xbox and chill. You already have your yeah. own girlfriend. <laughs> you play the Xbox if you want, and then um, yeah. So like the the fact that both he and Jasmine were in a situation where they encouraged someone that they cared strongly for to be the savior. And then they saw that the savior may have come with a curse that they hadn't necessarily foreseen. And so there is kind of this parallel potential for guilt that is there. Um, I thought that that was actually a really interesting comparison that I hadn't necessarily drawn myself until Henry kind of called it to the attention. So uh, it, it, it'll be interesting to see if that parallel plays out further in, in more specific and accurate ways down the road, if, if, yeah. that, if, that, if it continues. I mean, I think we talked in our episode one podcast about the possible twin fates between Aladdin and Emma, and that I was excited to see it because, oh, you know, maybe we'll track Aladdin's progress with Emma's progress. Now that they're both existing in the same timeline, and it seems like Aladdin is no longer the savior, that doesn't seem to be the case. But still, it'll be interesting to see 
how much they tie back to season one Emma. And she talks about later on to Henry that, you know, you made me believe and you helped me find a family. And I was reminded that, yeah, it took Emma literally an entire season to believe. I still think that in spite of having these visions of her getting stabbed, I still think that Henry, what Henry did for Emma was a good thing. God only knows with her dangerous job, she might have been taken out as a bounty hunter way before this anyway. <laughs> so I, 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 I can understand where he's coming from in terms of the guilt aspect, but holistically speaking, I don't think he's in the right. Yeah, I, I, I think it's... Unless his, unless his parallel... Is that you know things are working out okay for us, so they can can still work out okay for you and Aladdin. I think it just depends on where he naturally draws it to. We we do see later that you know Emma has this idea of well, if the end of my story is doomed, we can still enjoy the middle, and I think it's a really great middle that they are enjoying. Um, yes, uh, the middle on ABC Wednesdays. Enjoy um, the Goldbergs. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well. Um, that was in the first draft of the script. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so it, it'll be like I said. It'll be interesting to see how that ends up playing out. I'm. What I'm wondering though is like, are we going to end up with a situation where it turns out ah, uh, the the shears could have ended this, but. You can never truly like a, a pair of simple magical shears will can, cannot uh, will will not suffice to remove the will to be the savior from somebody. It's, it's bigger than that. So I'm like, I wonder if we're going to find out that you know that even though Aladdin uh, supposedly used the shears, uh, you know, it remains to be seen if Emma is going to that you know the the simple act of using the shears is not enough to remove the power of the savior because it's something that's that's who you are. So I, I don't know if Aladdin's no longer truly a savior or not. We'll have to see how that ends up playing out. So you're thinking about the idea of possibly placebo shears? <laughs> yes. He's in the control. He's in the control yeah, group. Exactly. And Emma will be the variable. What did you think about uh, yet another piece of magical technology here? Uh, we might not know whether magic coppers are a way to get through realms yet, but Regina is able to create a version of a locator spell that essentially ties together two people that I guess possess the same kind of magic. And that's how Emma is able to find Aladdin. Do you think we're going to see any other repercussions of this magic later on? Um, I wouldn't be against it. I don't know about repercussions. Um, I, I, I completely buy into this. I actually, I liked the, the workarounds like, well, we can't necessarily like find this, but, uh, like things attract each other is kind of, I think what they're going for, which, uh, insists, you know, some of the, uh, the, the, you know, whether it be Harry Potter or other fantasy novels I've read, there, there is often an element of like things will attract like things. And so I actually kind of liked that, that clever usage of that in terms of, okay, we'll fuel the spell kind of as a cousin to our traditional locator spell. I don't know if I said, like I said, if there'll necessarily be repercussions, but I think it'd be interesting if they end up using this again down the road. Oh, you're making a Harry Potter reference. Now I'm wondering, what do you think the chances are that Aladdin's the one under the hood who stabs Emma? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> I don't know. That'd be interesting if, like, Jafar, I don't know, possesses Aladdin and he says one savior must eliminate another. That would be super interesting because, again, if we're going with Emma logic of, oh, whoever wasn't standing in the square with her is a suspect, Aladdin falls within those uh, that criteria. That's a little less Harry Potter and a little bit more Highlander in terms of there can like there can be only one. Um, but well, no, but Aladdin I, uh, is Scottish, so I guess it made all falls in line there. But I know I know we've talked about you know before like is it Emma under the hood? Is there like an evil Emma and a good Emma? Kind of like the queen was was split out. Um, 
Uh, and you, you and Brent had talked about it a little bit last week, but you know, we, we learned that uh, you know, he who consumes the potion that, that splits the personality, uh, the original has to be the one that's killed. The doppelganger, uh, as it were, uh, uh, the, can't be killed. So you know, if it is such that, that Emma drinks the potion and there's a new one is formed, then the only way for – if Emma is under the hood, the only way for that creature to die is for the original Emma to die. So we'll see if that ends up being kind of well, where they end up going. Although interesting twist on the Jekyll and Hyde thing. Um, if Hyde had drank the potion instead of Jekyll uh, – oh, wait. Yeah, to, to, to split the two, I wonder then if Hyde would have been uh, into two completely separate entities, if Hyde would have been the one that could be killed and Jekyll would have been the immortal one. Yeah, I'm assuming it's the person who originally drank the potion is be, is considered the original. Yeah, so I uh, just drank it at the wrong time. Should should have fooled Hyde into drinking it. Yes, exactly. That would have been that would have been another long con. So, Kurt, uh, walk me through your thoughts in this episode specifically when we get the oh no, Aladdin is dead. Oh wait, he isn't. He heard Emma's you know cries of help to Henry and decided to help her out. Did you really think Aladdin was dead, or did you feel like he was sort of? hovering around there and was just sort of waiting in the shadows. Well, first I was wondering what all these skeletons were doing in the dwarven mines. Like, I know the dwarves get hungry. They're spooky, scary (laughs) skeletons. Okay, okay. I thought maybe they got hungry or something. Then I kind of... um, But then I was like, oh, no, this is another crypt. And I I believe, if I I go to my notes, uh, Regina, are you sure that's Aladdin? Jasmine, yes. Me, don't be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but Kurt, the piece of jewelry that she had given him was lying right next to the skeleton. That's foolproof evidence. Yeah, I guess that's that's one issue I do have with uh, Once Upon a Time as a whole is how much faith the characters will have in something, uh, holding out hope against all odds that something will be. And then where's like the smallest piece of um, corroborating evidence, but by no means confirmatory evidence, they completely give up. And I think that's that's the sense that I got from Jasmine. Here's like, but you've you've had faith, you've been looking for, it, and then you you find a skeleton, and there's a thing next to the skeleton the scarab next to the skeleton and then you just suddenly give up all hope and what's up with that but yeah i had in my notes yeah don't be so sure that that's necessarily aladdin yeah especially because like you have to check your watch because once upon a time another thing that they do is they're like they say okay this thing is definitely happening like 25 minutes in and then at, at like the 40 minute mark they're like oh we tricked you it actually is not that thing which again is like something i still love about the show but i was totally expecting aladdin to come out i still wasn't so sure on aladdin's logic here that he was like oh i you know i used the shears and i ran away to the enchanted forest i can't bear my face in front of jasmine because she'll think i'm a street rat again there might be more to it that hopefully other flashbacks will sort of give us information about but i don't know if that's necessarily a good reason to fake your own death well if we again if we go back this this i think calls the whole timeline into question uh you know the well the oracle was there with aladdin when he was having the spasms right yes and and jafar came in and backhanded the oracle into the corner Mm mm-hmm so that calls into question whether or not Jafar and the Oracle are the same person or, or, or have, have that linkage there. Um, so, but, you know, Jasmine wasn't there for that. I think if, but that was obviously in Agrabah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think, I mean, there is, again, a lot of this, this, this recurring theme of, of, you know, not having faith that the people that you love, love you as much. Almost like that they won't necessarily have the faith in you. And despite the fact that the scarab was supposed to be, you know, in a, a, a indication of I will always have faith in you or I will always believe in you. 
Um, you know, just the, the fact that I was having, you know, I was having these really bad spasms and these flashbacks and like things were not going well and I couldn't take it anymore. It was like, it was really a quality of life issue, Jasmine. Um, I, I think he needs to have a little bit more faith in her that she would understand. But, you know, I think we're, we're going to see how that ends up playing out because they, they, he does end up seeking her out at the end of the episode. And it is a, an interesting, like, comic end to that scene where she's like, oh, great, you're here. Now we can say Agrabah. And he sort of gives this look of, like, yeah, about that. So, wah, wah. I mean, I know he's not in the preview for next episode, but I feel like we're going to see, obviously, more of Aladdin. Uh, I was sort of waiting for, like, the Looney Tunes, like, Iris to close in on the two of them with the comic tone it took in the, at, the, at the end of that scene. But that definitely is a pin that we need to put in that couple to see. Aladdin apparently... I don't know if not being the savior means he doesn't have magic anymore. If he, if that does mean he doesn't have magic anymore, how exactly are they going to play a role in the big picture of everything? I mean, I could see it being an episode of, of, oh, that's okay. I still care for you. What will we do? I, I don't see them getting to a point where they come up with a solution and head back to Agrabah. I, th- I think something is going to have to happen potentially with Emma to show Aladdin that he's just able to actually still do something in the situation. I do think we're a couple episodes from that. So I think we might have some just conversation between the two of them, but I don't think it's going to be anything meaningful other than both of them kind of uh, you know, bemoaning uh, what will we do, what will we do. Yeah, and we'll see what sort of role they play in the hero squad as well, or whether they join up with the rest of our characters because they have nothing better else to do to help solve the problem of the evil queen, which we'll talk about now. We'll save the sheer hook talk uh, for the end of it. And I realized I just named two instruments there. Uh, so Archie walks into his office, and he has this scene with the evil queen where she's trying to convince him to essentially allow him to violate doctor-patient confidentiality. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So when, of course, he refuses, he sticks by his morals. Uh, she decides to poof him away and decides to become, as you mentioned before, the hopper ganger. So I know you said before that you weren't a big fan of this, but was it fun at least to see the actor play someone playing Archie? I, I think it could have been a little bit more Evil Queen than it was. I thought it was maybe a little bit too Archie. I would have liked to have seen, uh, I think, a little bit more more slippage of uh, Evil Evil Queen going there. Um, but yeah, I was okay with it. I was okay with it. I mean, we didn't get, we only got like a couple scenes from it, which is interesting because yeah. I feel like when that trope usually comes about in other pieces of, of media, it usually is like an entire episode or even two episode arc where it's like, ah, nobody knows that they're in disguise the entire time. So if it's something that any of us took issue with, I'm happy that it only lasted the equivalent of like five minutes. I, I did have more issue with how quickly um, Emma leaped from. Uh, Leroy just called, and Doctor Hopper's not in his office. But Doctor Hopper just left for here from earlier. You know, he should be back at his office by now. Oh my gosh, that wasn't Doctor Hopper. That was the Evil Queen. <laughs> like there was a huge leap in immediately correct logic there. Um, that I, I had more issue with that than with the overall <laughs> transformation into Doctor Hopper. Well, then the yeah, if, if Archie took a bathroom break in between, yeah, exactly. and would think, oh, must have been the Evil Queen. <laughs> God forbid you take a bathroom break around the Savior. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're and, e- evil. Anyone who uses the bathroom and does not stick to the timetable, I will suspect you of being the evil queen. 
saviors are big into timetables. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's really a, a lesser-known quality. That's why Aladdin really wanted a looser schedule. That's, again, why he decided to cut ties with his own destiny. So this B-plot kind of re- resolves around the Zelina evil queen dynamic. And as the previously on precluded to, we got hints of that in the first couple episodes. I mean, evil queen flat-out tells Zelina, you know, I'm the sister that you always wanted. And this episode is really going to see evil queen doubling down on that and really convincing Zelina to embrace her evil side once more. Uh, Kurt, would you call this would you call this relapsing for Zelina? Z-lapsing? <laughs> Z-lapsing. Um, it's... I wouldn't say yet that she's relapsing. I wouldn't say... Because she hasn't actually done anything bad here. I mean, we see that she... As much as she doesn't... Like she says that she doesn't want to release Dr. Hopper from his bi- from, from from being bound because, you know, well, if you're here, you know, my sister probably has a good reason for having you here. And yes, a truly good person would have immediately released him. But it's not like she did anything bad to him. And we do see that she eventually did release him to babysit uh, baby Robin. Um, so I, I still – we haven't really seen – uh, Zelina do anything bad. So I wouldn't say, say that she's relapsing yet, but she's definitely hanging around with the wrong crowd if she wants to be completely rehabilitated. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think we talked about maybe it was in the beginning of this season or maybe at the end of the last season how we were afraid that we were like, great, Zelina made a lot of progress of not being the one-dimensional wicked caricature that she was at the end of season three and season four and beginning of season five. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call my shot and say that they're undoing it completely, but I don't know. It's a little frustrating to me that now they're saying, oh, I guess Zelina's now going to be on evil queen's side because she believes that this is the woman who truly supported her. I mean, again, she showed a lot of smarts in the first couple episodes of the season by being like, you're trying to manipulate me. But it seems like that guys is slowly falling more and more with every nail that gets manicured. At the Three Bears Day Spa? <laughs> Hopefully that's not run by bears. I, I, well, they, maybe they were, trans, they were transformed. I, I did like that the slogan for the day spa, where, where everything is just right. Um, I thought that was, that was, that was quite clever. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we also don't see that you know, Zelina isn't, um, is still uh, at least open to visits from Regina. That the, and, and, and I almost feel like Zelina is treating the evil queen a little bit like, you know, Aladdin or Emma may have treated uh, or be treating the, the, the shears of fate in terms of, well, they're here and I don't have to make a decision right now. But, it's, but if I do choose to make a decision, it's going to be awfully quick and awfully handy to do so because, I, I, this, you know, the situation is right there. So I, I don't see being pampered. I see she's being bribed a lot, yes. And I, yeah. I, we, really, we don't really necessarily see into her mind like exactly what she's thinking. I maybe have a little bit more faith in her than you do. That just be, I haven't seen any evil action actually take place. Um, I still have faith that Zelina is going to pull up before the nosedive gets too dangerous. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding out hope here. Well, what do you make then of Zelina turning Archie into a cricket and keeping him in a cage? I mean, is that a form of kidnapping? Would you not consider that an evil gesture? You know, I, I, for some reason, I thought that they had my, you know, false memory had that, that, that the evil queen had done that. Um, you know, that, that is, uh, that's definitely towing the line. <laughs> and, and, and I have to, I do, I do have to say that 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 is, uh, that's exactly. I think that that's a really good point. It kind of goes counter to that. So, um, 
I'll, I'll revise that. I think that might be like the, the first domino again, tipping over in terms of, of, of her going evil. So uh, apologies, forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have an, another, again, a season one tie back to the conversation at the three bear spa where Zelina talks about one of her main problems is that she does not, she wants her daughter to love her and she wants, she's afraid her daughter will not embrace her wickedness. And the evil queen compares it to, you know, when I was raising Henry and I was lying to him and Zelina correctly points out, but yeah, then he found out when he found out you were lying to him, he shunned you. And she said, yeah, that's because I'm not as good as you. So she really is a master of like fluffing up someone to get what she wants (laughs) out of her. Careful. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, yeah, no, no, uh, no happy endings at the at the three bear spot. <laughs> oh my god! Oh dear. Well, what did what did you think about that comparison though? Because obviously we've been talking about season one comparisons throughout this episode five, uh, but this is one that definitely resounds a little bit. In that, I feel like the theme of parents and children has been very prevalent in Once Upon a Time since the beginning. I, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I think in in terms of. Like in, in in terms of how the the queen is treating Zelina, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I the the whole the whole uh, uh, fluffing her up. Um, I, what I thought was actually more interesting is the fact that you know we're we're supposed to be seeing a situation here where you've got the the dark side and the good side in terms of Regina and the evil queen, and I and I was actually thinking to myself that the way that the evil queen is being kind to and is kind of coddling uh, Zelina um, kind of goes at odds with what I expected from the evil queen character. Uh, I, I wasn't really thinking that she would necessarily have that, that set of skills. I thought that that might fall a little bit more in Regina's court and that we'd have a little bit more of a refined evil here. Um, but I, I did like the, the, again, the, again, the parallel of Zelina being concerned. Maybe this is the only thing that's kind of keeping her from going full green is that she's concerned that her daughter isn't going to like her and isn't going to like her wicked side. And I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, the queen, you know, could empathize and, and she you know, plays that card. You know, I tried keeping my wicked side from Henry in case he shunned me. And I, I do like that. Zelina's like, well, isn't that what happened? Well, but that's not because I was wicked. That's because I lied to him and to give him a chance to accept the real me. Um, so I, I guess there's something here where the queen can kind of use her relationship with Henry to, uh, steer Zelina in regards to Zelina and her relationship with her daughter. All right. So let's finish things off by talking about the last couple scenes in this episode, specifically Hook's choice to keep his own secrets and Emma trusts him with the shears. He assures her that it is leagues under the sea, wink, wink, hint, hint. But we find out that when she turns her back on him, he has held onto the shears the entire time. Kurt, any thoughts as to how the shears are going to come back into play in future episodes? No, <laughs> no, but no, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to say. Well, it, I, it's funny because I had thought that, um, cause when we see, when we see Emma and Regina saying that there's a conversation where they goes, well, you know, we know that the two of the options on the table are a, I can use the shears B I can die as the savior, but let's not, we don't have to resort to either of those. Let's, let's explore a third way. Let's look for the third way. And at that point, that's why I was saying earlier. It's like, well, you know, Regina, uh, Emma's always going to have the shears to potentially turn to, but I'd forgotten. Yeah. She gave them to, to hook to dispose of. Um, I, I don't really necessarily, uh, will the shears come back into play? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, is, but it's looking at hooks actions. I think that he would have been again, perfectly in the right to say, 
you know what? Let's not throw away this magical thing where anybody could necessarily get a hold of them. This isn't something that you could probably easily dispose of. The best way that we can safeguard who uses these is for us to have them ourselves. Um, you don't see the dark one, uh, you know, burying the dagger out in the middle of the woods so nobody can find it. It's pretty much always on or around his person. Except so, for that one time when he did, but okay, then tricked so Bell and he actually had it the entire time. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I'm confused about the whole decision to give up the shears when it didn't sound like that's where what she had originally wanted to do. And then I, I think it would have been just a lot easier for Hook to say, you know what? Yeah, we we can never be certain that this is going to you know, completely be out of the hands of anybody else. Let's just hang on to them ourselves. I'm happy that he ended up hanging on to them himself. I'm just not, don't agree with the fact that he didn't share that decision with Emma or kind of come to that decision with her. Yeah. I mean, I think probably one of two things will happen. Either evil queen or gold or someone will make their way onto the Jolly Roger and grab the shears and use it for their own purposes. Or since Hook is holding onto it and Emma doesn't know it, there'll be a point in time when Emma is in danger. Hook will preemptively use the shears to cut the ties. So then Emma will be safe, but at the same time she might lack the mag- the magical savior powers. I could probably see the latter happening more than the former because I think now this whole th- idea is going to come up of, you know, is Hook going to be protective of Emma? And, it, you know, they cut to him sulking around a myriad of times in this episode whenever Emma was talking with him. And it's clear that the news about her death hit him very hard, considering how he had lost Mila previously. So I feel like he's going to use it, and it's not going to be good. Like just, you know, you had this vision about Snow White dying in the cemetery in Underbrook, like, and it didn't end up happening. So... Or you miss and you misinterpreted that it was a beast when it was actually uh, red. So just chill, like just uh, oh, enough new of the, the eggs. Person on, the person under the hood is red. Yeah, it's a hood. <laughs> it's a hood. It's a, not <laughs> who a do we, hood, but it's a black hood. Who do we know who wears hoods? Red. <laughs> All the evidence <laughs> is pointing to you right now, Ruby. We're honeymoon's over with Dorothy. You're coming here for investigation, exactly. and I have a superpower, so I know if you're lying or not. <laughs> Emma just needs to go run to everybody and say, Are you, do you own any hoods? And like use her superpower to tell if they're lying or not. <laughs> Actually, she, she, should, she should pay attention to like the quality and styling and like pay attention to the hood. And then just see if anybody – like can we just peek in your closet? You know, who, <laughs> this is something that is going to have to come out of somewhere. Like if it's not in her own wardrobe, it's probably not her. Have everybody that's at least in your immediate circle search their wardrobes and lions and witches um, and – and and just see kind of where you know where's this where's this uh this this hooded cloak come from and that's going to be your your smoking gun all right kurt any other thoughts about episode five before we pivot into our talk about episode six no no i'm 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 looking forward to episode six i thought i thought episode five um was a good introduction to aladdin and jasmine i mean beyond what we saw in the in the, at least the, the first episode, uh, and, 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 and little hints of Shireen in previous episodes. Um, so I, I thought that episode one was pretty solid, apart from, or sorry, episode, episode uh, was this five, five? Mm-hmm. Was, was pretty solid. Um, just a little confounded about the, the sheer madness of the shears. 
<laughs> yeah, I I enjoyed it as well, even though I might, you know, find fault with some of the Aladdin Jasmine stuff. Uh, I think that now we introduce these two characters and I think we introduce an element of the savior mythology in the shears that it's going to set up some interesting stuff in the future. And the evil queen Zelina connection is solidifying as well. So I think this did a good job of sort of setting up the board uh, to preemptively next week, go under the sea and explore what might be at the depths there. Yeah. It's I, I'm intrigued by this. I, I did not anticipate or see a 20,000 Leagues tie-in uh, Captain Nemo uh, 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 appearance, I'm assuming. Um, so I'm looking forward to see to see, uh, to, to see uh, how far under the sea this goes. And, and um, it, it's, it's the sort of thing that kind of would, would, would tickle my fancy. Um, and again, in terms of you know, characters from different books and plots starting to kind of mix and match, if uh, people do end up liking the upcoming episode, uh, there's other things that they can potentially – uh, turn to that we'll talk about in the second part of our podcast. Do we want to do like a halfway pod, uh, hashtag right now? Do we want to hashtag Hopper Ganger for those people that have made it partway through this podcast? Sure. We haven't done a, a, a midpoint hashtag in a while. Uh, so yeah, sure. Uh, we made it this far. Uh, hashtag Hopper Ganger. Perfect. Yeah, that's a, we're going to our old, old school yeah. roots by uh, our own old school yeah. roots by talking about that. But yeah, we'll be back in for you guys just a second <laughs> for us a few hours to talk about episode six. And we will see you guys then. Spooky, scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skull will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. Okay, and we are back after episode six of Once Upon a Time, season six. And Kurt, where are my Pop Tarts? Where'd they go? <laughs> what? A, yeah, who? Who at Kellogg's? Who I believe makes Pop Tarts? Um, who at Kellogg's ticked off Disney? And like, and who at Miata? <laughs> it's it's like in their good graces. I mean, come I, on. I, I bet you that like Eddie Kitsis or Adam Horowitz owns a miata and so yeah. they said you know what i love this car i'm gonna put it into every episode or at least have one character own it throughout the chronology of the series yeah neither the grapefruit or the mackerel council has their fingers in the pots of the show that's it's, it's, there's un, unfair bias there all right so kurt let's make an immediate comparison to what the listeners have listened to only just a short time ago but we have done a few hours ago our analysis of episode five what were we correct on? What were we not so correct on in terms of predictions? Uh, two things leapt out to me. Uh, one, um, that simply tossing the shears in the water, probably not the best way to get rid of them if you don't want them to end up in the wrong hands. Um, yeah, so so when I outlined <laughs> at the end of the last episode that, oh, I think two things are going to happen to the shears. Either someone is going to take them or Hook is going to use them in an inopportune moment. I feel like we almost got the second, but it ended up being the first by the end of the episode. Yeah, and it's just like, I think, and my, my point was just that if you're if you want to keep them safely out of people's hands, hang on to them yourself. Don't dump them in the water. Um which it sounded like he was going to do initially at the uh, at the end of uh, episode. Throw uh, it in the water. Yeah, throw, throw it in the water. water. Yeah, throw yeah. it in the water. <laughs> it's the the call pepper approach to uh, to shears of fate. Um, and I think the second thing also, I, I I feel like I was very close, if not spot on, with kind of what was going to transpire with Jasmine and Aladdin in this episode. In terms of there was going to be some conversation, and can I really do anything? I'm not the savior, oh, but you can still help. You know, it's more you you could even if you're not the savior, blah blah blah, and and that also transpired too. 
Yeah, this episode was interesting as well in that I feel like the past couple episodes have been pretty streamlined in terms of containing itself to only two, maybe like two and a half storylines. But here we obviously have the Hook and Henry stuff, but we have Emma and Aladdin, we have Aladdin and Jasmine, we have Regina and Zelina, Regina have, and Gold, you've Regina got and Gold Bellin, and Snow and Belle. Really, this was like the... Uh, Charming, the, uh, yeah, Charming, Charming and Snow, yeah. <laughs> The whole the whole cast was really uh, got their money's worth this episode. It was like a noises off meets once upon a time. Yes, and nobody fell down the stairs, at least not of yet. <laughs> so let's get down to it. Dark Waters, and as we talked about at the end of the last episode, Captain Nemo is here, and he starts off as a disguised uh, oarsman who responds to the name of no one. And no, uh, this is not a Jack and Hagar crossover. It turns out to be Captain Nemo, but what we see in this opening scene is Hook sailing the Jolly Roger. I know that the caption says yeah. the time of the dark curse, which is interesting. Well, it was also, I think, like, just to be clear, this is when this is happening. Because I know there's actually been, a, like, a lot of times in the past where we have vocalized the fact that we don't necessarily know specifically uh, when this has gone on. But I believe, yeah, this is during, you know, after, uh, uh, you know, the Evil Queen has transported everybody with the amnesia spell for the first time to Storybrooke. But we know that there are parts of the enchanted forest and the realms that didn't necessarily get transported. And I believe that's where we are with this. Yeah. So if you remember from season two, uh, Cora took hook to like the outskirts of the enchanted (laughs) forest. And that's where they saw the big magical under the dome where the rest of the enchanted forest got transported to Storybrooke. And so they spent 28 years until Emma and snow come through that portal again and start, you know, getting into the beanstalk of it all. They sort of spent time, who knows what? And this seemed to answer a little bit of the question, who knows what? It seems like Hook had his Captain Nemo adventure somewhere within those 28 years. Which is fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, the, I, 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 I'm not sure quite when I realized that the, the, the stowaway was Nemo. But I, I think uh, it, it, it hit me pretty quickly once we saw the, uh, the Nautilus uh, that they mistook for a narwhal. Yeah, I mean, which, again, makes sense, considering that these people live in a medieval-esque world. You would not think any sort of mechanical technology is something that they would comprehend. Yeah, that, that's fine. I'm fine with that. They're, they're confused by this. It was kind of a, like, unfrozen caveman lawyer moment in terms of seeing the submarine. <laughs> <laughs> now, I might just be a pirate, but all this sounds strange and unfamiliar to me. <laughs> And, and but at least it's like in the neighborhood in terms of uh uh you know he is he is used to uh, the magics and these are kind of pirate like folks on on board so it's not like he was visited by a lunar lander or anything like that so it's it's i think he adapted pretty quickly so as we talked about, it seems that Hook is acting upon the shears a lot quicker than we initially thought at the end of last episode. He decides to put the shears. In the garage, which is not a good idea, uh, I think I speak on behalf of all parents where I say if you want your children to not find anything, don't put it in the house. Um, yeah, well, to be fair, he did kind of put it in the toolbox and there was – it was like right near a, a you know a bunch of other things that were potentially actually useful around the house. So um, – and uh, yeah, except he I think raised some suspicions with Henry. So – um, and, and the fact that, I don't know, the, the evil queen pretty much used her magic to point a big shining flashing arrow at the toolbox. 
Exactly. That's that's the thing is that it's one thing to say, oh, you know, Henry and Emma won't be able to find it. It's another thing to think that, oh, yes, this is the personification of evil is wandering around. And for all we know, Gold, who's always been a bit of a wild card, might be wandering around as well. They have a very good chance of not only knowing the location, but being able to point it out to anybody. Yeah, I think my caveat before in terms of, you know, dumping them at the bottom of the ocean is not going to keep them safe. I think the same goes doubly for just putting them in the shed. This is something you want to keep on your person. If you're keeping it uh, because you you know, want to potentially save the love of your life, um, best to really keep them on you. What did you think about the Regina and Charming's plan, Operation Save Archie, which was successful, though the Evil Queen was able to give them a warning before they poofed away? It, you know, it, it worked. Um, and maybe Baby Robin is actually has a tinge of evil in her uh, in terms of uh, uh, that was she was trying to rat out the freeing of the grasshopper to, uh, to her mom. Um, but... But yeah, it, it, it worked for the most part until Baby Robin got in the way. Yeah, maybe the uh, baby thought that the grasshopper was like her toy. Uh, and so that she would be able to play with it or it was a, a mobile. So when the mobile disappeared, yeah. that's when she was really upset. Yeah, that could be. That could be. Um, and plus, like once the evil queen outside started slightly interrogating uh, you know, Regina in a Socratic method by asking a lot of questions and not really getting any answers. You know, Regina didn't really good do a good job of deflecting the blame. It was more of a getting warmer, getting warmer. You're right. You're right. I, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't just be standing out here gloating. What, what? You're almost there. Yep, you got it. I mean, she pretty much by her silence allowed the evil queen to pick up on what was going on. But by that time, Baby Robin was crying anyway, and Zelina was inside and. Yeah, well, I think that they sort of expose, though, the, one of the glaring weaknesses of the Evil Queen, which is, hey, if the Evil Queen wants to attack somebody, all Regina needs to do is just stand between them, and Regina, and the Evil Queen can do nothing, because as you talked about, and we learned at the end of the fourth episode, if you destroy the original, you destroy the copy. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's kind of, you know, version control uh, for for life forms here in Storybrooke. It's, um, but I mean, I'm sure that you know Regina can't be everywhere at all times. I mean, we'll, we at the very end of the episode we'll get a little bit back to kind of what uh, you know the Evil Queen's uh, ultimate uh, end game is, or at least mid game. Um, but I don't necessarily buy that that Charming and Snow are completely off the uh, off the hook uh, in terms of being safe from the Evil Queen. Regina can't always be there to intercede. No, definitely not. And I guess we get little hints of Zelina here and her turning coat. Uh, we don't see a lot of her this episode, but I feel like the choice of her coming out dressed in green and not really helping the Evil Queen as much as sort of telling Regina, well, I know you're certainly not here to check in on me, are just little signs that Zelina is definitely wavering in loyalty to Regina. As she should. I mean, I think Regina really played that wrong. Like, I think Regina could have, you know, should, it's incumbent upon Regina to see that her actions are pushing Zelina further and further away, or her inactions, as the case may be. That should have been a heaping clue there as to what Zelina needed out of this situation, what Zelina wanted out of this relationship. And she completely failed to deliver. So if Zelina does get further and further in the evil queen's good graces, I blame nobody but Regina. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, starting to become a matter of the evil queen is paying attention to her. Yeah. It seems at this point, she showed in this conversation, Regina is completely disregarding Zelina. She thinks like, okay, she'll just be off doing her thing with her baby. But Zelina wants to be acknowledged, especially by her closest family member. So it'll be interesting to see when that comes to fruition. It seems like things are falling together a lot quicker than I initially expected on this season. So for all we know, a few episodes from now, Zelina could definitely become a pivotal role in this big plan. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's something I'm interested in seeing how it plays out is right now. I mean, we've talked now, uh, both episode, you know, five and six, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about what, uh, Zelina's ultimate role is. And she, we've seen her again in the, over the, 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 the past few episodes, just kind of have this peripheral, uh, Airbnb host role to the Eva Queen. And hasn't really necessarily done a whole lot uh, to enable anything. She just kind of has been there, and we just kind of see her loyalty shifting ever slowly toward the evil queen. Um, I'm also interested in seeing when it gets to the point where Zelina uh, becomes more of an actor than a reactor to the situation. So I know we talked at the end of the last episode, oh, Jasmine and Aladdin ended on this da-da-da-da-da-da ending where he told her that he wasn't the savior. But it seems like Agrabah is still on the mind, and she, despite of his lack of savior status, still wants to talk to him about the state of the town. Aladdin is not so into it, which causes him to walk out. And we'll get more on that later, but this is uh, the beginning of that storyline. Yes, that's it's, it, That's about 50% of that storyline. <laughs> yep, pretty much. It's Aladdin is moody and uh, doesn't want to tell Jasmine anything. And let's talk about moodiness oh, here. God. Kurt. Oh, so give God. Me your thoughts. What did you think about Henry in like the first half of this episode? <sighs> okay, so I, I, we, we had a... a um, a tweet from uh, Jeffrey K, which I think uh, yeah, uh, kind of plays into this. I'm assuming this is what Jeffrey uh, meant. He asked, you know, why are they treating Hook as if he just arrived in Storybrooke yesterday? And so this was a huge, like, what the moment for me in terms of uh, out of nowhere, Henry seemed to be exhibiting this completely pent up aggression toward hook being in the household and and i don't know if it was really you know triggered by the pop tarts or if there was something bigger like hook wanting to learn how to play xbox triggered like a pop tart coming out of a toaster oh god yeah hair trigger um or i it it just completely came out of left field for me and the oh i was like what it wasn't like the and this was before the evil queen appeared as as henry was taking out the trash and wasn't taking out like i don't think he was even upset about like having to take out the trash because i think that was his own idea um so i was really really confused i think this is the the what like one of the two things in the episode, we'll get to the other one later, that just really had me scratching my head in terms of what's Henry's problem? Like there's like there's like a hormonal imbalance here or something. I feel like this is like a storyline that they should have put in like season four that for <laughs> some reason they saved until now. Because I think that the idea of the storyline is good. I like this idea that obviously the family dynamics are really shifting with Hook getting closer to Emma. And I think Henry's a part of that equation that isn't really acknowledged. But as you said, it does come in an awkward time. I mean, look back at the Cinderella episode. The two were, they were off on their own and they seem to be doing just fine. To have it just now be a problem seems a little strange maybe it is sort of the pent-up pressure of finding out what's going to happen to emma but 
still it's it's odd because i know henry's going to try to justify it later by saying like well you know you have the shears you were going to try to eliminate like the one connection i have with my mom but even that seems uh, a little strained so i mean i guess i'm all for giving something for henry to do but this just seemed to come out of nowhere yeah it was it was strange and i don't even necessarily think that um i think the events of the episode could have still happened without all that anger being there. I mean, Henry could have still found like the anger could have come from him finding the shears. Uh, it was triggered well before that. Uh, and even then it could have just been an effort. The, the anger still didn't even need to be there for when he went to the Harbor to dispose of the shears. But anyway, it's off my chest. Uh, how do you think hook would play an Xbox controller? Do you think he would have to use connect only? Well, he said later that when he went to uh, – uh, when he right before he discovered that the garage was kind of cracked open and that the shears were gone, he comes out of the house asking, I don't know if this was really built for me. Uh, so, and yeah, I think he'd have to use the Kinect um, or basically go into the settings and configure the controller for uh, one-handed. It's a very limited set of games. He could play some Pac-Man, um, but, but yeah. Well, considering he doesn't even know what Star Wars is, I'm, su- I'm assuming he'd be fine with Pac-Man at this point. Yes, yes. So Henry is ticked off, as we've said, um, kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, but the evil queen appears eating an apple, which I think is a nice fun nod again to the beginning of the series, uh, to stir the pot a bit. And we'll find out later that this is, again, another plan that she has to put a pirate size wedge in the middle of the charming family. And uh, to help stir that wedge along, she's going to inch out the toolbox so that Henry can see the shears. Yeah. Um, at least she's, I, I mean, on the one hand, she is helping him discover them on his own, like literally, uh, but doing everything with taking them out of the box for him. Um, yeah, not so subtle manipulation <laughs> there, evil queen. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I guess this way, but you know what, if she's able to open up the door and pull the, uh, you know, the toolbox out from under the thing with magic, uh, at this point, I'm wondering, why isn't Henry questioning whether or not she, she might have put the shears in there? Although, I guess he does know that, um, that you know, Hook took the shears. So, you know, yeah, there's, there's that. She's allowed to touch the shears. Yeah. I mean, she has them. She shows she, them off to gold at the end. So yeah. I don't understand why she can't take them out of but, the box and, like, hand them to Henry. I think, it, I think it'd just be more impactful if her hands don't touch them. Or more believable if, if Henry, if she just kind of opens the door for Henry, but he actually walks through. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, speaking of doors, or perhaps submarine doors, let's go back to our flashback narrative here. As Hook awakens on the floor of this underwater sea monster vessel, uh, only to find men holding harpoons. And as he's he does manage to subdue them, but it turns out that he has nowhere to go since he's underwater. And here we get the introduction of the stowaway, also known as Captain Nemo from 20,000 Leagues under the sea kurt what did you think upon finding out that nemo was going to be involved in once upon a time um i kind of talked a little bit about it at the end of our episode five i i you know i like the idea of exploring a little jules verne uh in this and i was actually looking forward to seeing where it went and i thought it was a a nice recreation of the nautilus um although it did raise the question i was taking my notes i was like what are they, i guess they're just crewmen i was thinking well you know, and Jason and the Argonauts, the ship was the Argo, but this is the Nautilus, so would they be the Nautonauts, which really doesn't roll off the tongue 
that well. So I didn't know what to call the actual crew. No, I guess the Naughty Knots sounds like I don't know. The, it sounds like some sort of lurid group of people. The, the Naughty Knots. Yeah, it's like oh, the Naughty Knots. <laughs> Ooh, um, but but yeah, the it was. What did you think about the the whole backstory of the mission that in the, at least in the flashback the the mission that Nemo is on and why he's tracked down why he's tracked down Hook and how he's tracked down Hook. Yes, yeah, so that's a little convoluted. I mean, if you read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the original source material, there are very similar narratives with Nemo. Nemo is, seems to be also someone who, while he was on a mission, his family was killed by people from his country, and so he kind of exiled himself. And I wouldn't say is necessarily set on revenge as much as he's just sort of gone crazy. And that's what everyone realizes as the book progresses. But to add like the enchanted harpoon onto it might have been one step too far but i guess this is once upon a time you have to incorporate that magical element in there somehow like i guess if we review this scene knowing that ultimately he is uh kind of gathering revenge hungry souls like his own or his well his is reformed uh as he hunts for a key that will open the doorway to a world where they can, you know, get on with new lives. I guess it makes a little bit more sense in that context. Um, it's like as we hunt for this, we're just going to kind of build up a, you know, a family and all settle down. Um, but yeah, it, the but this this the strange uh, item of the the enchanted harpoon that seeks out souls that are you know hell bent on revenge. That was just seemed almost like a. Um, a, a bridge too far, almost, in, in terms of how how much the right the lengths to which the writers were going to go to provide a way for uh, for for Nima to track down Hook. I mean, he couldn't have said, "I've heard about you," because they've been undersea for so long. I think if he was on land, he'd be like, "Oh, I've heard about you that you you seek out Rumpelstiltskin," or maybe Rumpelstiltskin appeared to him at one point and could have told him, "Oh, you heard about this man? He he wants to kill someone. You should take him on board." But even like in the in the movie, and I'm going to the movie as a, as my source material. Apologies, not the book. But I believe that you know that uh, the Nautilus takes out the ship that Kirk Douglas uh, is on, and when that ship is in splinters, uh, you know they bring him. He comes on board, and I can't remember exactly the situation in which the ship got destroyed. If if uh, Nemo was out basically taking out ships, or just was kind of a byproduct of something else. But I mean, I could have. I guess you're not going to wreck the Jolly Roger. We know that's where Hook is. But I, I don't know. I, I just I, there could have been, I think, uh, more elegant ways to get Hook onto Nemo's ship. I also question the logic of kidnapping people and essentially telling them this is for your own good. We're going. I know you want to get your revenge now, but stay underwater with me and my crew of naughty men, and we're going to eventually get our make our way to a beautiful island where all your troubles will be forgotten. Oh, this is going in a direction that we will discuss once more at the end of the episode. <laughs> Can't wait to talk all about seamen with you, Kurt. Uh, <laughs> so Hook finds Henry down at the dock. It seems like he's about to get rid of the shears. And Hook and Henry obviously start going at odds. But before they can turn and run away, the Nautilus surfaces and they're cornered. Uh, Henry showing a little bit of a mouth here when he asks Hook what the hell is going on. <laughs> Well, he has been to the underworld, so he's he's allowed to use that language. Exactly, he's been to, uh, he's been you, to if hell. You've gone there, you can use it. The yes, language. exactly. If you've been there, you can say the name. So, can he use then the words that sailors use, considering that now he's been underwater? 
Uh, not quite yet. Hopefully he hasn't gone that far. So let's go to the <laughs> ER, surprisingly enough, with this random storyline that will pay off later of David finding uh, a refugee in the forest who I guess was in bad shape. When he said he wasn't in Granny's, I thought it was Ethan Rom for a second. But uh, we'll find out later that it is Nemo. As he decides to head out and look more into it, Snow finds Belle. We had a good while lasted, Kurt. One episode without any mention of gold or Belle. Here we are. Or at least gold in relation to Belle and vice versa. Uh, I mean, I think even if, we, if we'd seen them separately, I think I would have been fine. I, it, it, was, it was minor enough that I'm okay with it. Um, but yeah, she's getting her, her first ultrasound. Um, and kind of like, you know, gold wasn't invited to this, which makes me wonder like, well, how are we going to actually, you know, if we're not talking, how are we going to discuss what role he's going to play in our child's life? So yeah, that's a little tricky. You might, might have to actually, you know, be adults and talk about it. No, Snow's like, you got six months to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. Don't, you don't sweat it. Yeah. And and for the record, going back to the, the body that Charming found in the woods, I was also like, what? And I think maybe it's just the... I as I'm watching these and we when we podcast after I don't have a lot of time to think and consider so it completely didn't hit me that the body was Nemo uh until um until I think the a scene in the hospital later where you know they're talking where Bell and Snow are talking and they're saying oh yeah the guy we found in the woods uh, seems to be okay and I'm like wait a minute that could very well be Nemo that's probably Nemo that has to be Nemo at this point uh didn't make the connection or even i guess I should say later when we learn that um nemo gets stabbed and uh, there's the whole transportation from the land of untold stories even at that point i hadn't real put the two and two together so eventually we get there yeah i mean you got there a few minutes before a the few, show yeah, that's, to give yourself yeah, credit yeah it wasn't i wasn't as as uh quick on my feet as as i'd like to be but i did get there just before it was revealed so i think which is which is a nice feeling Yes, you are quicker moving than the Nautilus is, at least. <laughs> so Henry and Hook continue to, bo- to bicker as they're sort of trapped underwater here. And Henry uses the oh-so-hurtful words, you're not even a part of this family. Ugh, the feels, Kurt, the feels. I wanted to smack Henry at this point. To be completely honest, I'm like, you guys have been there so much. I mean, to your point earlier, it's like this would have – this seems like it would have made – sense if either a this had taken place back when hook was just starting to court uh you know emma and you know back when you know charming and snow had uh you know big hesitation around you know that you know potential relationship happening or b if we'd seen like in the first minute of the show that henry was like took some sort of potion that made him a giant dick um so (laughs) it's yeah this is like a really, really poor form on Henry's part. Wait a minute. I didn't want to drink a potion that made me a giant dish. I've been underwater for too long, Kurt. I've done too many podcasts underwater today. I'm starting to get cabin fever. <laughs> oh, gosh. you and you, 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 Next you're going to be pulling out the walking prisoner gag. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, oh, walking or was Wookiee? Okay. It was uh, the Joaquin Phoenix the Joaquin, prisoner gang, the Joaquin where you, you walk onto David Letterman with a beard and you just make sense of nothing so that people can sneak right. past you. When you talk about a completely unnecessary. I mean, I I liked the uh, the Kashyyyk uh, Wookiee uh, reference back when it was done. We don't need a call back about it in episode six of season seven. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's been a while, though, since the Star Wars reference, right, on Once Upon a Time. I feel like they were making them all the time back in the day, and that was even before uh, Disney had acquired Lucasfilms. You know, just put it back in a ringtone where it belongs. Like, if you're not going to do anything with it, don't tease it just to be cute. Well, maybe it'll culminate in uh, Henry truly embraced Hook and his family, and so they went home to watch Star Wars. Unless they get a... Unless they get a Yoda cameo, I don't want to hear it. Although this is something that uh, yeah, Emma has probably seen. So she, she'll, yeah. she'll, she'll be able to talk about it. She'll be able to immediately point it out because she has seen the movie. Exactly. And she has not read the novelizations. Yeah. <laughs> and we actually forgot to think, mention at this point. At this point, I think Emma's actually uh, already confronted uh, Aladdin breaking into the car, correct? Yes, they have yeah. not gone to the town line yet, but it was yeah. a little quickie scene where she caught him stealing a wallet from what seems to be Doc's Miata, and he's <laughs> caught. I missed that it was Doc's. That's I, I, I love that. I just uh, I just heard Miata, and I made the assumption. I don't know how, yeah. how profitable the Miata dealership <laughs> is in Storybrooke. It's, there's probably five car dealerships, let's be honest. There could be an unusual number of car dealerships in relation to the number of cars we see being driven. Yeah, there may be like 100 people that live in Storybrooke, but there's got to be like five Miata dealerships. So, going back to the flashback here, we have Nemo, Hook, and this young first mate. Who, in, my, uh, in, in my notes, I had him as red shirt. I did, <laughs> oh, the match game. I totally had him as red shirt because I was totally expecting <laughs> for them to go on this expedition and this red shirt to totally get killed off. I love you, Mike Bloom. This is <laughs> this is. It, it looked like an original Star Trek set a little bit in terms of like you know, where they would the the away team would potentially go and explore, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think with the with the glowing lights and the the rocks, I feel like it definitely could resemble the surface of a planet. But it seems to be a grotto where they're seeking out this treasure. Uh, in the meantime, the red shirt tells Hook this story about how he had gotten taken aboard the Nautilus that. You know, he was orphaned and he tried to seek revenge on the people that wronged him until Nemo saved his life. Uh, Hook lingers behind and out comes the Kraken. I know we got a question about this, Kurt, from Dominic saying, are these the worst special effects ever on Once Upon a Time? And I know you disagree. Okay. Not a Kraken. It's a squid. If Captain Nemo and the Nautilus were attacked by a squid. So I have to believe this is a, an homage to the original uh, book slash film. And I was actually had in my notes, like I said on Twitter, oh, these are actually decent special effects. I was like, this is this is pretty good. I mean, it's the, the, no Chernabog, uh, which is a good thing. Um, I, I'd say that the – I actually know the, the special effect of Regina – appearing before Snow White and Charming to shield them from the evil fireball of the queen, that looked worse to me. The, the green screen was kind of wavering there when, when Regina appeared. The, this, I, I actually liked it. So, Dominic, I disagree with you. Yeah, I think for me, the Kraken was fine. I think it was maybe the tentacles. Like, I feel like these CGI things were okay until they actually interact with the people. The tentacles did not look like, and again, this is a more of a mythical creature than it is a real creature, but the, the tentacles did not look that authentic, specifically when they grabbed Hook. It's not, it's a squid. Come on. Uh, uh, Hook specifically said Kraken. Ah, uh, he's wrong. He doesn't, he does he doesn't, he because he's never seen a squid. Um, uh, I, mean, I thought I know, that I, I thought that... we talked last episode about conflating different types of mythology. <laughs> now we're bringing in a figure from Greek mythology into a pirate setting. Well, thing I thought that um, I, th- I assumed that the tentacles interacting with them, like on that that kind of slope thing he was on, I assumed that those were real and not actually. I thought that those were practical effects as opposed to CGI effects. But um, uh, you know what? I'm fine with it. I, this is this. There, I got. I was more hung. Like honestly, I was more hung up on. 
uh, Henry's attitude than any other special effects in this episode. So you were just so pissed off at Henry throughout this episode that you didn't really care about anything else that happened? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that I, I actually ha- – because I do actually have in my notes, hey, these, this, this is a decent-looking water creature. <laughs> Okay, maybe this is one of the water creatures that uh, owed a favor to the evil queen, and so he he gave away the the shears. Maybe this <laughs> well, is Chekhov's kraken. What's funny is like in my notes, like b- before we have the scene at the pawn shop at the end, I'm like, not a good way to dispose of shears. Ursula is still out there. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I the yeah, I, I, there's all sorts of underwater creatures, whether it be kraken or squid or Ursulas or rogue mermaids. Uh, that, that could have potentially helped out in the situation. So, let's yeah. talk about this gold and evil queen scene. Where again, there's a lot of flirtation going on, and we're going to get even more flirtation as it, as it goes on later in the episode. But I think the one piece of information we can really take from this scene is that apparently the shears do not just work on the saviors. I guess since he's the dark one, he can also use it to sever her ties to his own destiny. Is that what you were thinking as well? That's funny, yeah, because where the queen goes is that, oh, you want these shears to use them in regards to the fate of your family. And I was, yeah, I was going completely somewhere else in terms of gold wanting them to potentially use in regards to him being the dark one or even potentially in regards to um, using them against Emma in some way or against the evil queen in some way. Honestly, like fourth or fifth down on my list was that he was going to use these to help kind of his situation with Belle. Maybe that was more willful denial on my part. But um, yeah, I didn't, I I was thinking, I was assuming it had more to do with maybe his dark one heritage. Mm. And I wonder now, because if we have certain magical objects that can work on both saviors and dark ones, I guess anyone that sort of has a title, do we think that other you know sort of devices might work on them as well like will well i guess i was gonna say will gold start getting his own version of savior spasms but he kind of did back in the end of season four when his heart was growing too dark and he almost died or maybe maybe it's anybody who has a kind of a prophecy about them like they're the shears of fate and they're supposed to be able to 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 sever the irrevocable tie between you and the fate that you are destined to live out and and in in this case the it's it's at least believed from these visions and from uh you know what we've heard through i don't know the oracle slash jafar slash aladdin it's believed that the savior has this irrevocable fate that's looming out in front of them and so i guess you could use it in that instance i'm not sure what fate the dark one has i remember like back in season like one you know there was a talk about how you know the was like i can't remember the specifics but basically henry was going to be the undoing of of gold yeah it was um it was the okay i'll have it burned in my memory because it was that freaky seer that told gold in season two that i think like one member of his family would be his undoing and he assumed that it was henry so that was the whole arc in new york when he tried to kill henry right technically that could still be a completely valid prophecy right I mean, that's yeah. Not, I mean, un- yeah. unless it was undone or reached its completion when Gold sacrificed himself in the middle of season three, uh, so I guess like working for his family ended up with his death. But again, that's like, sort of a perma death because he ended up coming back from the vault. Right. I mean, that, the writers could twist that either way. Plus, a member of your family. We know how the, the how things have changed, but since like between then and now, this is the most complicated family tree ever. So his like. <laughs> 
the number of potential suspects that he would have to use the shears on uh, would are have gone completely out of control. So I, yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting as well that Gold hints to the Evil Queen at the end of this scene that she's running thin on allies. I know that she's obviously going to gain an ally in him at the end of this episode, but I wonder if it's sort of foreshadowing that. In striking out on her own, and tr- even though she's trying to use Zelina and is trying to use gold, she's going to end up on her own, and everyone's just going to overpower her in the end. Yeah, and it's a little nod from the queens. Like, you don't need allies when you win. Um, you know, she isn't saying there, hey, I've got my sister. All you need is family. I mean, it's very telling that her, you know, her the, the mantra that she goes to is that you don't need allies when you win. And true, like, if... If you win every single immunity challenge in Survivor, it doesn't really matter what allies or alliances you have. Um, but yes, the, the uh, Evil Queen would love Mike Holloway. <laughs> exactly, exactly what I was thinking. But it also doesn't necessarily mean, you know, based on the season, uh, take a look at like a Colby Donaldson that you'll necessarily win at the end. So, um, no, I'm not drawing a comparison between Colby and the Evil Queen. I think that would be completely out of left field. But you know, the, just you take the analogy for what it's worth. <laughs> So we get the scene you talked about a little while ago with Emma and Aladdin at the town line. But before we get there, I know we got a question from Becca here that says, can there be more than one savior at a time? Did Emma become the savior because Aladdin changed his destiny? And we didn't bring it up at the end of the last episode when Aladdin said that he had severed his ties. But it brings up a good question. Is it like the author and the sorcerer and the sorcerer's apprentice? Does the title pass from person to person or is there a chance that there can be multiple saviors at the same time? I was wondering this back a, a few episodes ago. Um, I don't know. We haven't been told that there can't be more than one savior at one time. But I think the way they're kind of telling the story is I think we're being meant to uh, believe that. Um, but I don't know if that's also a misdirection. So. Um, I think ha- having watched the show would be completely normal for us to assume there can only be one savior at a time. The question is, are we? Is that what the writers are trying to impart, and is it a misdirection? Yeah, the only the only counter I have to that argument is let's remember this time last year there was a time when there were two dark ones at the same time and I don't think any of us thought that there would be a possibility of that happening. So the door is kind of open there. Yeah, and you know the I guess from a a timing perspective. It seems like uh, that Aladdin was having the savior spasms at about the same time uh, that one of the more uh, recent curses was having was was happening. That he recently, relatively recently, left Agrabah uh, versus it happening necessarily during the time of the dark curse. This is where those captions uh, would have helped at the very beginning. Um, <laughs> yes, I think we need every flashback from now on to start off with a caption like, this was before the first curse, or this happened after the second curse, but before the third curse. Exactly. And we know that you know, Emma kind of came upon being the savior during the, you know, shortly after the first curse. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I could, to answer Becca's question, I could very easily see it being that we end up having two saviors. And maybe one of the, uh, you know, the lessons we learn is that, you know, there's a savior in all of us or that the savior isn't. Yeah. How's that for a, a, a lesson from season seven? The savior is not a mutually exclusive title, you know, patent pending, all, all you know, rights exclusive, you know. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that ends up going. But I, I would be completely uh, non-surprised if there could be more than one savior. 
What did you make of this Emma and Aladdin scene? I think like we've been talking this entire podcast about throwbacks to season one, and we have yet another one here when we're reminded of when Emma tried to drive out of town after Henry told her that she was going to be the savior, and she ends up kind of uh, ruining the sign, and she uses it as a reminder to Aladdin that hey, you want to run away sometimes from this big hand you've been dealt, but at the end of the day, you need to come back and play your cards. And was this a possible drunk carting accident reference that we're going to be seeing play out again? Towards- yeah, maybe it turns- <laughs> turns out that Emma went back in time again to the Enchanted Forest and was the one to run over David's father. Yes, the, the Queen's Cider did not make me tipsy here, but I did go back in time and kill his dad. That would actually be crazy. Um, that yeah, would th- definitely be a wedge to put in the family. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, this is – this I think like in, at least Emma gives Aladdin that frame of reference. It's like you, you don't even know what happened in Agrabah. Just at least have the conversation. Yeah, and it's it's also tough because they barely know each other, but at least I guess the 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 talking point they have in their conversations is that they both happen to be saviors, or at least at one point in time. God only knows what the car ride was like on the way over to the town line. Yeah, and if she could understand his accent. <laughs> Wait, what? What about Moroccan haggis? Yeah, exactly. So she encourages him to find a place to start, just figure out what the problem is, and then go from there. We'll talk about him going from there a little bit later on, but Hook has an admission to make here, Kurt. This is when he takes the time to tell Henry what we found out in the season five finale, that he killed his father and made an orphan of little Liam, and little Liam is going to come to prominence very, very soon. Yes, and and I also, I I believe that at this point... um, I still hadn't. I did also do, just like I didn't make the connection before. Oh, the body in the woods—that could have been Nemo. Um, I have not yet made the connection. At least at this point in the in the story, I have not yet made the connection that um, uh, the story that was told by Redshirt uh, in the cave I, I, that uh, that this was potentially Liam. Although you'd think that 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 Hook would have asked his name by now. No, my brain was so jumbled here that I was thinking at one point, like, wait a minute, there's a chance that maybe Nemo could have been Liam. Because remember when Hook went to Neverland and he didn't age? That's why, you know, he's considerably older than everybody, but that is not the case. I forgot that Liam didn't get an original name, that he was like Liam too. Yeah, and I think we even talked about, though, in our yeah. season five, maybe it was the feedback show that we were talking about, like, there's a chance that little Liam is going to come to prominence soon, and it turns out to be very, very soon. Right, and actually when when uh, Hook was bringing up his – the whole Liam 2 storyline or the whole Liam 2 story, um, I remember us – that I remember back back in the day that we had talked about, oh, yeah, this – this he could actually now be a character that comes up, oh, and I actually was looking forward to that, and that was I think it was going to be very interesting at the time. Uh, what's yeah? What's the consensus <laughs> on that now, Kurt? <laughs> um, I wish that it hadn't uh, been so on the nose in terms of them feeling the need to address that in the same episode. Like I think it would have been cooler to bring it up and have it be a bigger character than it was. Good eye on Hook to be able to recognize a knife and remember it from that dark night when he killed his father and remember that it belonged to him. I And bad on the writers for thinking we would all remember the knife. <laughs> like, thank you, Hook, yeah. for helping me along with that one. But I'll, then I'll say good on the writers for not making it so obvious by putting in previously on Once Upon a Time, Hook <laughs> killing his father. <laughs> Very true. 
<laughs> so Hook, bringing back to the present, says that he ruined a family and doesn't want to ruin another one. Uh, this seems to invigorate Henry, and he breaks them out and decides to go broach the surface in order to get help. But Hook is sacrificing himself and staying behind so that Henry can go live a happy life with Emma. And it's just in time as Liam is back with a vengeance. Yeah, I think I've entered Liam several times in my notes here. Um, let's rewind a little bit. Uh, the whole getting out of the escape room. Uh, they, you know, they're trapped in the in the brig. And, okay, several... This I said that the, it's the onset of the, this, this second half of the show that there were two things I had issues with. One was Henry's attitude. Two was them getting out of the lockup. So apparently we're led to believe that, he, you know... Uh, Hook can't get out because I guess they took his lockpicks, but we're led to believe that Henry can use the shears to pick a lock. Yeah, that's not a that's, good thing to use. That's that's probably as efficient as like using a screwdriver to try to hammer in a nail. And and I thought the first rule of kidnapping was pretty sure to always search the kid. Yeah, but not even like a <laughs> screwdriver that like your dead father gave you and said like, now don't you muss up the screwdriver at all. No, no, I'm just going to use it to hammer in a nail. Like this That's is true. not the thing that it's used for. And it is such a dangerous object. It has been the MacGuffin for the past two episodes that why are you using it for this purpose? Yeah, like it, it'd be hilarious if that, you know, the queen and gold take a closer look at the shears and find out that they're completely useless now given the the how like Henry like – I have to imagine that, that you're not going to pick a lock with those. You're going to, like, pry your way out. So he's, they're all bent and mangled and ruined. It would be hilarious. Yeah, all right, time to cut my food. Wait a minute. Why are these so bent? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I kind of, so apparently this is not Nemo's, not Nemo's boat. It's Liam's boat. I had a kind of a, a lost flashback yes, if, if there. Only the, if only that was written on someone's hand. Exactly. I think he would have known that earlier on. <laughs> and, and part of me was wondering if Liam now inherited the name Nemo and was going to be doubly screwed in terms of now another name that's not his originally. So uh, it would be like the Dread Pirate Robert. Exactly. Who was named Captain Nemo. <laughs> if, you, if you head up the Nautilus, you're Captain Nemo. Sorry. Oh, um, man, that's a horrible distinction. <laughs> oh, God. The... Uh, I, I, but I did, I, they're on the outskirts of Storybrooke. They can't be that far below the ocean such that, uh, and even from the outside shots we saw, I think we were able to kind of almost like see the surface in some of them, uh, just like the 20,000 leagues ride at, uh, at Disney world. Um, <laughs> so I, I can't help but imagine that I thought that hook was going to be like, I'll just hold my breath. <laughs> like I thought he was going to jump in there too, but apparently not. No, that would be another reference to someone holding their breath for a long time to make their way to an underwater station. But even though they both have similar accents, uh, Hook did not go the way of Charlie Pace. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to be talking about uh, Shelley Winters and the Poseidon Adventure. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, we'll save that disaster for another talk. I, uh, I, will, I will say, though, uh, one thing that I did not think was good storycrafting was the flashbacks and current day taking place in the same setting of the Nautilus because you had like scenes that were almost in the exact same room that if you, that unless you just kind of stopped and reset your mind, like, okay, now Nemo's here on the ship. So this is the flashback scene. Um, but this is, this is Liam and 
uh, hook fighting, but it is the flashback, not the modern one. I, I didn't really – usually when you have the flashbacks, they're usually in separate enough uh, settings that you're not going to confuse them timeline-wise. So I didn't really care for that either. Yeah, and this is a good example of it where we get Hook in the past trying to escape because he feels like Liam is now going to know who he is and will be out for revenge. His theories are immediately confirmed when Liam shows up, and Nemo takes the knife to the gut, which I was uh, – a little questionable about. I know that Nemo seems to have a good heart, almost maniacally so, but that seemed a little out of left field for me. Well, I think, I'm trying to remember if at this at this point we don't know. I'm trying to remember what, what happened with where my memories were at this point. I kind of saw this one coming. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing where, like, we hadn't seen Nemo yet. We didn't know yeah. that he was the the refugee so you can make right. the assumption okay nemo's not there they said the captain wants to see you but who knows who the captain was at that point so there could be a good chance yes nemo's missing therefore he dies right i i thought that the i yeah i had thought that the twist was that his brother had kidnapped him and if his brother had kidnapped him that meant nemo was no longer around and if nemo was no longer around that probably meant that he was killed in the past and i, and I kind of came to that realization like five seconds before he got stabbed by liam well, again, you're still doing well of predicting it before the show actually shows it. So I'm going to commend you on your record no matter what. Woohoo! Well, so I'm a little confused about this. So Liam talks about this in the present that Nemo got stabbed and Hyde took them to the mysterious island, which Hook realizes no. is the land of untold stories. And no. so I'm assuming – oh, no. Okay. No. So what, what, did you, what are you surmising? Um, Nemo got stabbed – they went to. They made it to the mysterious island, but then Hyde brought him back here to Storybrook. When oh, you know, okay. Hyde's, Hyde's talked about how I brought a bunch of my friends with me, and none of, them, and that's supposed to be threatening, even though none of them will really actually harm you, and all of them are injured. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I think they made it to. Well, it's funny because when we first heard the key, I was like, "Oh, this is going to go to the land of untold stories." Like this takes us to the mysterious island. I'm like, "Oh, touche, writers." Um, but they were like. Uh, it's basically the land of untold stories. Okay. Um, yeah, so they made it to the mysterious island, another Jules Verne novel. And they, they said Hyde brought him back here to Storybrooke, which is kind of the whole dirigible incident. And because – so I guess when they made it to the island, uh, Nemo wasn't actually dead at that point. He was dying. And then when – so when they came back here, Nemo got uh, kind of taken out of that stasis. Uh, the carbonite was shattered uh, and he began to kind of uh, – rehash his wounds out um mm-hmm. so, so it's like yeah. it's like in a very similar way he's not dead yet uh but it's in a very similar way to like when not, not only to the uh, count of monte cristo's would-be girlfriend back in episode two but um apparently also, not as life-threatening of a wound which surprised yeah. me i i was of leob's mindset well if hyde brought him back here he's dead sorry <laughs> but it's also like uh remember when big liam liam one uh took the nightshade or the dream shade in neverland so when him and hook and or Killian at the time left only then did he die so it seems like to be in line with that idea of like oh when you're in this specific realm you're fine you almost have immunity but you you lose that immunity when you leave the land i think that was might just been a, a particular instance of neverland it's like in the land where you never grow up um so i think that was just more of another place where the <laughs> where time your immunity stay the same <laughs> yeah exactly um so I, I think uh yeah that was maybe a just a particular uh element of Nor- neverland's magic um 
and it maybe just happens, maybe shares it with the Land of Untold Stories. Uh, not completely sure, but that's what I'll go with. So Liam decides to go after Hook. He says he's fueled by anger, not only from the fact that Hook killed his father, but Nemo seemed to be dead as well. So he's essentially killed every father figure in this poor boy's life. Um, But Henry enters and sort of distracts Liam at the last second, which allows Hook to knock him out. Henry and Hook finally come together. Uh, Henry didn't want another family to be ruined, but still it's a step too far when Hook says he's part of the family. Baby steps, Hook, baby steps. Yeah, he seems to have lost most of his attitude mysteriously. Um, maybe it washed away when he went into the uh, through the the airlock into the water. Um, but yeah, he's 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 better now. He's 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 passed. Whatever. And so so Hook and Henry <laughs> decide to they're going to work together to help save Emma's life, but they don't need the shears to do it. So to put it out of sight, out of mind, or so they think they're going to drop it in that treasure chest and let it sink to the bottom of the ocean. So far so good, right? Kurt, none of nothing will ever go wrong. Now the bottom of Storybrooke Harbor. (laughs) Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I realize that this is not the ocean. This is sort of an extension I mean, of yeah, the they, docks. They, you, you know, we don't. They, he could have sailed out and gone down deeper. I just like to think that he's just like literally sitting there where uh, anybody who's on the dock can actually just see the top of the Nautilus. Um, yeah, I didn't think this was a good idea at the end of episode five when this is what I assumed Hook did, and I still don't think it's a good idea uh, when at the end of episode six when it's actually what Hook did. <laughs> Yes, and once we found out the immediate repercussions of it, which we will talk about. But first, let's resolve this Agrabah storyline and a little bit of a sad resolution. <laughs> or I think uh, it, it's more of a – I think I, I didn't think it as sad as much as like a, an added mystery that I found interesting. Um, but the, plus the added mystery of where is this cafe? This isn't Granny's, I don't think. I think it's outside Granny's. You think it's you know, outside they have Granny's? Those, they, they, okay. have, they have those patio tables, so that's my I, assumption. I was wondering. But I didn't see like the typical – there's kind of that fencing around Granny's. I didn't – catch that or um i don't know so anyway i i I, in 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 my world mike this is another uh eating location that we could potentially see. maybe it's that italian cafe they went for uh hook and uh and emma went for one date in season four the lady the lady in the tramp again (laughs) the lady in the tramp cafe Yes, exactly. Maybe they're finally using that set again now that it's just been sitting around. But Aladdin decides to come back with his tail between his legs, and he's ready to fix Agrabah. But the problem is there apparently is no Agrabah, as it disappeared in a sandstorm by the time Jasmine got back to it after a diplomatic mission. I agree. I think we talked at the end of the last episode about how there are hopefully going to be more Agrabah flashbacks in the future, and this is definitely reason to have more. More like agro bo <laughs> Sorry, How long I had to... <laughs> did you have that saved up for? Oh, gosh. I was, like, vibrating with anxiety until I could get that one out. <laughs> you having uh, your own savior spasms? Exactly. I was having the Clark curse spasms. Um, you know, I, I'm really kind of intrigued. Well, first, I was intrigued by, ooh, what's this other kingdom that... Uh, that Jasmine was was visiting, and I said, like, "Oh, that, this could this could be interesting." I mean, we did have an allusion to to Alibaba, although I guess it was referred to as one of the storybook storybooks that Jasmine may have read um, when when Aladdin was talking about it. But I was really really curious, like, "Oh, what's this neighboring kingdom?" Now, this could be like a you know new characters in a new setting. I'm really interested in that. But he's like, "Oh, but when we come, when I went to come back to Agrabah, we went over, we came over the Great Sand Dune. Uh, Agrabah was gone." And I was like, "That's also interesting. Uh, this is this." is something i didn't expect and it's a mystery that i look forward to exploring more i'd say that this actually out of everything that happened in this episode 
this was, I think, the uh, the kind of the interesting exclamation mark that I'm looking forward to being explored and question mark that I'm interested in be having explored later on in the season. Yeah. Hopefully Agrabah doesn't go the way of Roanoke and it just turns into a, <laughs> an American horror story season. Yeah. No, hopefully exactly. not American horror story. Agrabah. A H S Agrabah. Um, uh, yeah. So although, you know what, we're going to want this explored and watch the entire, uh, missing Agrabah storyline will be, uh, you know, done in a, in a single episode. So let's tie up Bell's storyline a little bit as well. She got two copies of the ultrasound, even though it went well, which again is a little bit of a sticking point. She's still not sure if she wants to take him back, especially after seeing the disdain that Morpheus, and again, I'll put that in quotations since jury is still out as to whether he is the god Morpheus or is not, the disdain that he had towards gold in that dream so she's hesitant about whether or not she wants to make up with him, though we'll see her dropping off the uh, dropping off the picture at the end. So again, we could, it could be a step towards them getting together once again. Sorry, what? <laughs> you <laughs> fell thinking... asleep, Kurt. Were you putting yourself under a sleeping curse so you could visit your own unborn son in his dreams? <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, I knew it. <laughs> you nailed that in one. Um, do you think they're going to name their son Morpheus when he's born, or is that just a bad idea? <laughs> or is that a thing of like, uh, you know, they talk about how these prophecies are unavoidable, that, you know, they try to un- <laughs> did not name him that, but Dr. Whale screws up, he mixes up birth certificates, and so the, the, the son that they get is named Morpheus. Or it's like the one thing they could actually impact, and they just do it. Like, well, you know what, probably not a big deal, let's do it anyway. Well, it's like uh, that Freakonomics study that says, like, what baby names lead to successful children. <laughs> I'm guessing Morpheus is not at the top of the list. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but this is also where there's kind of the, the nod to, you know, Dr. Whale, think, Dr. Whale thinks our mystery patient has a fighting chance. So a uh, quick reference to the fact that yeah, Whale is definitely still here. So he's tinkering in the garage. Uh, uh, he is teaching at the school, and he is also pulling uh, shifts at the hospital. Though um, he must be sad to lose his uh, his new science bro, Doctor <laughs> Jekyll, so quickly. Probably, um, but this is like, it's like oh, that you know, Chekhov's unconscious body from you know back in the first act. Um, this was like oh, that's got to be that's got to be Nemo. I was like, I was, I'm now I'm putting two and two together, and it's all coming together. So Liam comes together, or comes to, I should say, in the hospital room. It turns out that, I guess, Hook had surfaced the Nautilus and taken him to the hospital after he gave him a pretty bad knock on the head uh, after knocking him unconscious. And the two of them seem to make up, and Liam only wishes that Nemo could be there to see the two of them. But wait, there's a twist! Mm, well, it's more of a bend. <laughs> yes, a slight <laughs> bend. It's that road sign that has a very slight bend yeah. in it. Bear right. <laughs> yes, this was definitely a bear right, where it turns out that, as I figured out and as you figured out, uh, Nemo was the refugee. So it seems like, even though he, again, had nothing to say, everything is good for now. Any chance you think we're going to see these two anytime soon, especially since little Liam is technically a member of Killian's family? I could see, I could see us seeing more Liam before we see more Nemo, unless that's a package deal. And I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> no, if I'm going on a mission, Captain Nemo's coming with me. Even though he's in a hospital bed, he's still a part of this mission. Yeah, but, you know, it's they've got that sub. The sub's pretty cool. I mean, I'll be completely honest. That's a pretty kick-ass sub. Um, so you know, if they if if they need to travel, you know, 
20,000 leagues under the sea. They've got that. And it seems like, again, I know in the last episode we talked about, like, oh, there seems to be some rising tension between Emma and Hook. That seems to go away when Hook tells Emma the truth and she's like, oh, I would have done the same thing for you. So I feel like any sort of tension was immediately resolved over the course of one episode. Well, any tension is in the minds of the freaking characters who are like, I'm not going to tell them because there's – I'm scared of what's going to – you're playing right into the same fear and paranoia, Mike Bloom. Like, just tell them. <laughs> See, you just told her and everything was fine. Let this be a lesson to all of you story story brook residents that you can just tell people the truth and it'll be fine just like you know some sometimes you know the truth is the best thing as, yeah the truth will set you free yes i was, so I, was I was trying to quote Mich- michelle from survivor but then i pulled i stopped short <laughs> Well, I know someone who doesn't need to be carried, bro, and that's the evil queen. Let's talk about this final scene as the evil queen sinks her claws into gold in more ways than one. I don't know about you, Kurt, but when we saw her kiss him and we saw Belle walk into the shop, I was waiting. I had my own seer moment. I was knowing what was going to happen. She was going to walk into the store, ready to make up with him, and see them kissing, and then it's another wrinkle in this giant mess of a storyline, but I'm glad we didn't (laughs) go down that territory. (laughs) I am also glad that she didn't walk into the store. I'm like, oh, come on. Like, at the very least, let this be the final nail in the coffin. Like, there's just, it's if, you know what? I don't know. I, that's what, thinking that I don't know what I think now. It's like, well, if she had walked in, that would make it even less likely. But now it's like her not walking in keeps her on this momentum towards trying to get back with him, which I don't really want. I don't think so. I almost wish she had walked in, but that I think would have been the easy thing to do for the writers. And, and kudos to them for not taking the more obvious way. I thought I had thought for sure they were going to have her walk in. Was watching these two make out uncomfortable for you? I mean, it's, I feel like I'm almost countering myself because I believe when she was flirting with him back in like episode two, I was like, oh yeah, Lana Priya is actually kind of like turning me on a little bit, but <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe it was like the way she looked and she, her hair was considerably different, but yeah, watching the two of them kiss was a little awkward. I'm, I mean, I'm, and I'm not raising it in terms of how she looks or how she is. It's just more what I think of the two of them. It, it's like, I just Seeing them together just, like, made me squirm in discomfort. Um, and now he's three for three in kissing women of the Mills family. Like, yeah, it's uh, – it just didn't – it felt it felt icky. I'll say well, it. It and felt I feel icky. Like also, like, these are two of the best actors on the show. But even then, I feel like it probably was uncomfortable for them, too, because they probably feel like it's like kissing their siblings at this point. That's, and that's the feeling I kind of got from it. And I know that they're not siblings. Let me check the family tree. Yeah, I believe that's correct. <laughs> no, they're, um, they're, on, they're on the two opposite sides of the family tree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it just it just felt like – it felt like rival coworkers who have never had a thing before suddenly making out. I don't know. It just, uh, no, I, I'm not. I am not uh, buying, shipping, or handling. Uh, uh, what do you, I don't even know what you would call these two because it's not Regina. It's Evil Queen. So it'd be a uh, uh, Rumpelstiltskin. No, Rumpelstiltskin, <laughs> or it could be, or it could be a Golden Evil. Golden Evil. Because she's the Evil uh, Queen. Yeah, or or Golden Queen. Uh, uh, just regardless, I'm not shipping it. <laughs> well, what do you think the chances are that obviously the Evil Queen is going to be using this these shears as sort of a bargaining chip to get gold to do what she wants? But what, what do you think the chances are that she's also going to use that to like 
do some more things to him, for lack of a better term of diving into anything more lurid, a la the Nautilus. Like acting on the information that he kind of hinted to her that this is more than for use on the Savior? Yeah, or or sort of like what Zelina was doing to him when she had him under his control in the back half of season three. Well, I I still don't necessarily think that Gold can't simply just take them from her if he wants them. Um, But the the comforting thing is that at least Regina says, I don't want you. I want your help getting something that I actually do want. So it seemed like just a moment of passion that I don't think is going to be something that is going to be shipped at all. Um, But I I also don't see the Evil Queen having any... uh, machinations aimed toward Rumpelstiltskin at this point. I mean, we learned that basically he, she needs his help getting Snow White's heart. Her, she, mm-hmm. she seems very completely short-sightedly focused on ruination of Team Charming that I don't believe that she's got higher aspirations at this point. I could be completely wrong, but that's just the impression I'm getting. Don't you want me, baby? No, I just want Snow White's heart. Yeah, this, again, is another thing that seemed to come out of left field for me. Not as much as Henry's resentment towards Hook, but again, I guess it's another throwback that she says, you know, this is something that I've always wanted, but you have to wonder where this is going to fall into her big plan. And I don't want to get too, too much into the previews for next week, but it seems like she has yet another plan in there that might involve Snow White's heart at some point. But they seem like two separate plans at this point. Well, so I, let's, I'm still after we talked a little bit about this at the end of, you know, the fifth episode in terms of, you know, was this, uh, you know, uh, did, did, did Snow White's plan fail when Emma's secret was revealed and it didn't pull her family apart? Or did it go just as the queen planned? I'm getting the feeling that it failed. That is that, that, that's, you know, uh, plan Cinderella failed plan. Emma's secret failed and plan pirate wedge all failed. And now she's on to her fourth plan. She's thinking bigger. She's thinking better. She's thinking ding, 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 Snow White's heart. So I, I, I do Which, think, go ahead. I was going to say, this provides another wrinkle, though, because let's remember, Snow White's heart is divided between two people. Mm, That's true. Uh, David sacrificed himself so that they could do the second curse, so that they could bring themselves back to Emma in the back half of season three. And so Snow White split her heart so that he was still alive. So technically, if the Evil Queen knows this, which she should, considering that she was Regina up until the end of season five, she could very easily go after one of them and, in effect, take out part of that heart. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, if this means she has to kind of, if just getting Snow White's heart doesn't end up, uh, uh, fully affecting her because the other half of the heart, uh, is with her true love charming. Um, or she basically does have to kind of get, take a package deal and get both halves if that ends up being a wrinkle. Uh, but to your point, this is something she should know and should hopefully be planning for. Um, I don't know how I feel it. Like this feels... I'm against things going too retro to season one, and this is starting to feel a little season one to me, but I'm going to withhold judgment until I see how it plays out. Perfect. So if you guys out there have any thoughts as to what the Evil Queen's plan might be, or if you have any thoughts about anything we talked about in this giant 
double podcast. You have a bunch of ways of reaching out to us. You can always ping us on Twitter. Kurt is at Kurt Clark. I am at a Mike Bloom type. You can always leave a comment here on Post Show Recaps. And while you're there, make sure you're subscribed to our Once Upon a Time only feed. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. And please, if you're there, rate, review, and subscribe to us. That always makes us more visible in the giant ocean that is the iTunes review page. And also, if you're not subscribed to Post Show Recaps in general, make sure that you are. There's so much stuff going on. I know Walking Dead just started back up in a rather uh, bloody and somewhat aggravating season premiere. I know SNL has just started up again as well. We have Seinfeld that has kept going. I just got together with AJ Mass over the past few days to talk about Black Mirror Season 3, which was a lot of fun. So there's plenty of stuff to check out on post-show recaps. To finish off this giant podcast, Kurt, do we have a hashtag for people who made it to the end of this second half of this podcast? Uh, as much as I'd like to make it agri-bye, um, I think we've got a couple other ones that are in the running that are a bit better. Uh, we have our Naughty Knots. Um, and, and I particularly liked your idea of Moroccan haggis. I, I, let's go with Moroccan haggis. I feel like it perfectly ties into episode five as well. So it's really uh, stringing it together like the stringy meat that I'm assuming Moroccan haggis is. Oh, God, that's just lovely. Yes, perfect. Uh, hopefully nobody's listening to this right before any sort of meal. I apologize if you've lost your appetite. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening to this big podcast. We are all caught up now. So we will be back next week with our regular schedule covering Episode 7 of Season 6 of Once Upon a Time. Thank you guys so much for listening. And remember, if you're trying to play Xbox One-handed, you're going to get very good at Pac-Man. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.